This is Chris Shelton, your host. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home this week. Very happy to be here and uh, very happy you've come around for another episode of uh, what is, I believe, the best podcast on the internet. But, you know, that's a debatable point. I am uh, joined this week by, uh, well, let me say, we are going down under. I am doing this on a Thursday. I, I can't believe this. I'm doing this on a Thursday night at 7 o'clock my time. Which for my guest in Australia right now is uh, the next day at 9 a.m., which it just boggles me that that is the way our planet works. But I am welcoming uh, one of, uh, well, I think my first ex Australia, you know, ex Scientologist Australian guest, and this is Jason Horvatic. Jason, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Now, just so the audience kind of knows, you and I have been in touch for quite some time. You reached out to me quite a while ago. I'd say a year or two, yeah? Uh, yeah, it would have been January, February 2022 when I posted a denouncement of Scientology slash the Church of Scientology on my website. And uh, that's that should be explored a bit more because that's probably more complicated than it sounds. I've actually taken it down since then. We can talk about why. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, but yeah, so we, we spoke then and, um, and then I got declared suppressive in, I think October, November last year. So like about six months ago or six months later from, from the time I first contacted you and, um, well, I was a little, I probably wasn't in the best mood, shall we say. Right. Um, and I know you and I disagree on a lot of, um, on a lot of Scientology, like we, we don't see eye to eye. And I think that's really fascinating to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I would just say straight off the bat that it was actually you who suggested to me, well, why don't we just wait a little bit or not, mm -hmm. you didn't say wait, but you said you, I might want to wait mm -hmm. uh, because my mood at the time was not the best. So thank you. Um, and I guess I just, that just really speaks volumes to your character because being an onlooker, because some of the ex-Scientology community say things that I don't agree with. I feel like, mm -hmm. oh, if I speak to them, they're just going to shut me down or they're going to take advantage of me. But you you were very uh, generous in the way you gave me some time. So here we finally are. Yeah. Um, a year later. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I totally get it because, um, well, recovery is a process. And as I've always yeah. said, you know, it's it's onion layers, it's peeling those onion layers. And, and, and what I haven't said, and what I should say more often perhaps, is that it really is so, it's such an individual process. Mm. Uh, you know, there's no foregone conclusion that you're supposed to get to. And that separates the whole way of thinking about you know, catharsis or recovery or healing and trauma and dealing with it, it separates it from the way Scientology thinks about it, which is, I think, you know, I think one thing we could agree on is that it's a very production line sort of activity. You're supposed to do A and then B and then C, and everybody does those steps. And by doing those steps, you're supposed to reach very exact cognitions and conclusions, and everybody's supposed to hit this. And, and the real world and coming out of a cult situation, Scientology or otherwise, 
everybody has to find their own kind of answers and their own healing. Yeah. What, what do I you th- think about uh, that? Yeah, like I I think that we could have a four-hour discussion on just what we've just said there. <laughs> yeah. And I think that I, I'm, I get the gist of what you're saying, and I, and I think that's fair enough. I think whether Scientology, to, to what degree it promotes you to be exactly the same or that they should all wear the same colored shirt, if you will, Yeah, I'm not so sure. I, I do, and we should probably talk about the differences between that I perceive anyway between Australia and American Scientology because there's actually there's actually some substantial differences that I I think that are there, um, and yeah, it's it's tricky. But I, I I do I would tend to agree that as you get closer to the C organization and the upper levels of the organization, there is that sociological dynamic of we're all wearing the same shirt, we're all going in the same direction, and there are um, flag orders from Hubbard that. Ex- explicitly do state that removing um other in- you know like ethics goes all the way to removing other intentionedness which is like that's that's very one tracked um and and you know i I, it, it, I always sort of get tangled up talking about the the actual philosophy of Scientology which is where my interest lies um right. because it it's probably even more nuanced than that you could argue that well any tightly knit group has to kind of you do need a few individuals like that and maybe that that is necessary like i'm sure if you spoke to i don't know the president of the united states he probably has a one-track mind too and he probably needs to remove other intentionists to some degree but uh I, we probably do agree that perhaps that is a bit widespread in scientology and it it encaptures people at lower levels that it, then it doesn't work, you know, like it's okay for the president to be like that. But once it starts getting out into all forms of government, then you start getting that cultic vibe that I know you, that, I mean, that's your sort of angle, right? You're more into like Scientology as a cult, whereas I'm more into Scientology as a, uh, well, I haven't quite placed whether I'd call it a philosophy or a theology or a sociological system, um, but the theory sure. of it anyway. And I, and I think both, lenses are perfectly valid and i don't you know more power to you and hopefully more power to me absolutely absolutely in fact i have i have practically begged for religious scholars to do the work that i believe you know you're going to be doing or are doing in terms of breaking down well what are we talking about when we talk about the philosophy or the 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 framework of scientology in terms of its belief set its faith if you will and hmm. all the structures of that, right? And, and, and this has been being done for hundreds of years, thousands of years, if we really, if, with Christianity. You know, hundreds, yeah. thousands of scholars have, have torn apart every single aspect of it. No one does that with Scientology. No, no yeah. religious scholars go do that. What they do is defend it. And that's a very well, different activity than kind of describing and breaking it down and examining it. Yeah, I do know that uh, I have read the, um, so um, I'm at uni, everyone. So yeah. um, that's probably, yeah. So there's a little, we'll probably tell my story soon, I guess. But, we will, um, we will get to that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so I, I, in my, in my spare time for fun, because I have an obsession, I guess I um, have read all of the secondary literature on Scientology, which means all of the scholarly works on Scientology. Yeah. And um, I, I do agree that there is a general defense but there are some scholars who who are actually real hostile um stephen kent being one of them oh absolutely um, absolutely uh, I, I i shouldn't say nobody yeah. it is it is 
wrong of me to say nobody's attempted it. And thank you for, for pointing that out. But, we have Hewart and I, Steve Kent, et cetera. Yeah, but what I would say about the scholars, and to your point, is um, they're coming about it from their discipline. So um, if they're a sociologist, um, they spend most of the time, they, they kind of skip over the philosophy, theology, faith, if you want, I don't know if faith is quite the right word, but let's say, let's just go with philosophy, theology. Sure. Um, they, they skip over that and um, to get to the sociological aspects. So they'll talk about David Miscavige, the Church of Scientology, Aaron Hubbard, his yeah. life, these sorts of things. And none of that interests me particularly. And we can get into why that is. Um, so the, the best example of a scholar really digging into its theology philosophy was the 19, I think it was 1987. It's called Renunciation. And um, it was, uh, oh, I should have checked beforehand to have this to memory, but it was a, it was a, a, a scholar she did for her, it was either her master's or a doctorate. And she wrote it under another name. The, the Scientology isn't in the title or the subtitle anywhere. And it wasn't published for years afterwards for, I think, legal reasons at that time due to the, the amount of pressure that the the church could exert at that time mm. and she she actually harriet whitehead comes in that might be her name she um maybe maybe uh, do you put links in your maybe afterwards i can mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. um because i have all these these written down um or i'll tell you what if you want renunciation to... and reformulation a study in of conversion in an american sect there you go yeah so um, so she, she had, oh, good. So she spent, um, she actually, uh, embedded herself in Scientology, like did Scientology live with Scientologists and then, um, wrote this book on, so she's a sociologist. So she's coming at, from that point of view. And in that book is, I think it was, I counted it was, it was, it was eight or 12 pages of philosophy theology. So that was the best I could find. And then it's kind of that they need to skip over that to get to the sociology or if they're a psychologist they're going to skip over it to get to the psychology or if they're a legal sure. scholar they probably won't even get into it they just discuss the legal side um so yeah I'd, i'm hoping to um put i think more of a foundation stone i think something that should have been done a long time ago but uh probably was hard to do before 2007, the release of the basics, which again is probably a controversial thing to say, but we can dig into that sure. as well. Sure. Well, let me make, let me say two things just to clarify a couple earlier points that I've made, um, because I want to make sure you and I are at least seeing eye to eye on everything that we're talking about here in terms of understanding what the other person is saying, because mm -hmm. we do have some, you know, some basic disagreements with how we're approaching the topic or subject. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm been keen to do this talk, do this interview with me, you for a very me long time. Me too, being excited and, and nervous, but excited. <laughs> yes. And, and it's totally fine. You're good. You're doing great. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say, that I'm primarily a writer or trying to be a writer. And for me, when I write, I just, it all just comes out. Right. And right. I, I talk like that too. Uh, so being recorded, it's, it's kind of like, I feel like it's my first draft, but it's the final, it's the, you don't get to change it. So it's a very <laughs> different way of, of thinking that I'm not, I'm, I, uh, history says I haven't always been the best at. So I'm, I'm being very careful with what I say. So no fair way. enough. Totally yeah, fine. But you, you were going to make a couple points? Well, I did. I wanted to have to make two points. Oh, okay. One is uh, in regards to what I meant earlier about the factory production line aspect of Scientology, which, mm -hmm. you, which you pushed back on gently. I, what, I wanted to, what I wanted to point out that you may or may not be aware of 
is that um, because I was a technical delivery person, I was somebody who not only oversaw delivery as an executive, but engaged in it, right? I supervised Mm. classes and I audited people. And so what you might not know is that at all levels of Scientology from certain classwork, uh, I'm thinking about the uh, clay table auditing that gets done on the Mm -hmm. Pro-TRs course or the Key to Life course or the Life Orientation course or the clear cognition, which is something Mm -hmm. every single person needs to say. Mm -hmm. And certain things that happen on the OT levels are are literally put in quotes. There are things you need to say or concepts you've got to communicate in order to be completed with certain levels. And that's what I meant or was thinking about more so than, you know, the analogy of everybody wearing the same shirt certainly communicates a conformity culture, which is absolutely what Scientology is about. But I was actually being a bit more specific with that production line of you're not done with this service. Every single person who does it until they say these words. I think you bring up a, a really good point, Chris. Um, so what I, how I like to look at it is I have um, family and friends and uh, who obviously I have family and friends <laughs> who've been in Scientology yes. <laughs> and lost a lot of friends recently, but they're yeah. still there. Uh, and... Uh, so one family member I had, she was a class five graduate auditor mm-hmm. before the golden age of tech came out. So before 1996, um, and golden age of tech wiped her out. She sort of went, no, not, not going to do this again. Um, and when I speak to her, she comes about it through a psychological lens. In other words, the auditing, the, 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 the therapy role, she, the therapist role she played, um, is what Scientology means to her. Mm-hmm. And um, I know someone else who has, I call them kinks. It's like someone else has a kink for Scientology admin. And this is someone who I don't get along with very well because in my opinion, Hubbard's admin, his third dynamic tech, his group tech, if you will, is is probably his weakest link. Uh, it's it's where I, I don't, I just don't gel with him on that stuff. Yeah. Um, so he and I, well, we don't talk for, for other reasons due to the declare, but um, we never really got along. Now I, uh, and we'll probably tell my story, but I always struggled with the, the church in general. I've always been a bit of an in and out guy in the church. I've always gone hard in and then had to come out and various things. Um, and we will tell the story, but when I, when the basics came out, I did the basics, uh, on my own at home. I didn't care what anyone thought they do this course. I'm like, no, no, I just, I'm, I took a Protestant view, if you will. I'm like, no, it's just me and the, the my Bibles. Uh, and, um, that's my kink. So when I talk about Scientology, I'm only talking about a a very early part of it really. And, um, I do recognize what you're saying. Like as you get into the deeper levels and the high levels, it certainly turns, it certainly turns into something else. It seems like it to me. Um, I am a, a Proteas upper end doc, PSSP graduate, the Golden Age of Tech 2. I did that. Um, I've done my basics. I've done up to happiness rundown. So again, yeah, the sorts of like I've never had to deal with a clear cognition. I've never had OT levels delivered to me. I've never sure. had any of these things. So my right. my perception of Scientology is is quite different, and I um I think that's okay because you know one thing about the OT levels and and first of all I don't I don't want to talk about the confidential stuff sure. on if if you don't mind yeah no we don't have and, to get into that there's no reason to yeah. 
and and the reason is um is a peace offering from from me to the church um and but also um most Scientologists haven't done those levels, including me. Now, I was in Scientology yeah. my entire life, born into it until I was 31 years old. I was as hardcore as you could be mentally. I was like Hitler youth level of like, you know, and I know we've had this discussion. You were saying you were too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I never ran into that material. And um, the, there was a sociological study done in 2018 called Among the Scientologists. It's mm-hmm. a book you can actually buy. It's a bit of an erudite book, academic book, but um, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donald A. Westbrook. And I have some pretty big disagreements with this guy. We've spoken about this, the way he approaches it, um, pretty selective in his audience, yes. uh, in his participants. But um, he pointed out by survey that I think it was about 5% of people of his people had done the OT3 and above. Correct. And that's people handpicking getting handpicked to like to snowball fashion, like the church sort of guiding Scientologists to him. Like these are the good people you should speak to. So if that's 5% of the good Scientologists like the, that the church is speaking, I'm sure the actual number of Scientologists who have done the OT levels is well below 5%. And so to some degree, to me, it becomes a bit of a straw man. All of the attention on the OT levels for me is like, I don't, I don't care. It's just... Um, I have like, I've, I've read it all. Like it doesn't bother me. I can see how it's an extrapolation of the basic philosophy. Actually. It doesn't, it doesn't even perturb me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it, anyway, I, I, I get, I get your point with, with when, when I'm saying what is Scientology and when you're saying what is Scientology, I think the reason we come at it so differently is because of our different experience in Scientology. I think if I was a core supervisor up at, uh, you're at PAC where you're in America or, mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's a very different, um, a very different environment. Um, my wife, uh, Anne, my wife's name is Anne. So Anne and I have spoken. We speak about this all the time. This is Scientology, of course. We have a shared history in Scientology, um, and we've listened to some of the stories of staff members coming out of America, mm-hmm. and it's like they sound like the Sea Org experiences we have in Australia. Yeah. So. If that's the case, then the Sea Org in America must be just something on another level that <laughs> we, yeah. I just have never, I've been in the Sea Org four years or maybe five years total. I was in two and a half times. We'll get into why that was. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we, we're Australian. I mean, I'm, I'm upside down right now to you. The cameras, it's, it's correcting, but I'm upside down. Okay. Uh, and we're, Australia is a very culturally different place. You know, we have, we, we, uh, we, we swear at our mates, um, and, and call our enemies mate. Hey mate, if you're an Australian, say, Hey mate, that's not a good thing. (laughs) Um, and you know, depending on the tone, of course, Uh uh, and, Uh and, you know, like uh, my, uh, uh, a person I knew went to, to I think it was ITO, in, so International Training Org in, in LA, or it might have been FLAG, and she was doing some supervisor training. And the supervisor said something to him. She said, ah, you dickhead, no worries. Now, that in Australia is a perfectly legitimate thing to say, maybe not in a corporate environment, but it's kind of normal. Anyway, so the soup's like ethics. She's yeah. like, what? what? What are you talking about? Like, So there's a cultural difference. And we would always know when an American would come down to the SEAL, when I was in the SEAL, because at the masters, um, you you know, like the the whoever's out the front saying, you know, have you guys got that? And the Australians, you know, all of us, there's a hundred or maybe two hundred of us, depending on the size of the meeting, and we'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. 
um yes sir yeah 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 and anyway so an american would come down there's one guy in particular and you'd you know while the rest of us go yeah 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 whatever then there'd be this one voice going yes sir yeah. in the background and all of us would kind of go like what the hell is that and then that person would sort of get social so, socialized mm-hmm. over the coming months and learn to blend in with australians right. um so i get it when people when people uh, I don't want to take away from uh, the, well, like you said, everyone has an individual journey, right? And That's I, right. I, I, it's not my place in any way to say, hey, you guys shouldn't be complaining about Scientology. If you want to complain about Scientology, I, I really don't care. Um, uh, not as in I don't care, but I don't care. In, it's not offending me um, right. and and go for it. And and yeah, we can tell my story. And Absolutely. Well, I, I know you're keen to get to that, and we're going to. And I thought that these points we're talking about at the get-go here might help illustrate for the audience where how we are coming at this a little differently, which is why I'm yeah. kind of working on this a little bit right now. And then we are absolutely going to get to how we arrived here. Um, and so with that being said, there was one other point I wanted to make, which was that thing I said earlier about the faith-based aspect of Scientology. Um, and the reason, again, there was, there was reasons I say these things. And the reason I say that is because, and I, and I hope you'll agree with me, but I don't know if you will, but this does go all the way back to the very basics of Scientology, 1951, 1952, is the axioms, the very first one, right? A Thetan, the very existence of a Thetan, uh, is postulated or put forward in these axioms as this sort of self-evident given truth this is how it is mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. you know the 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 source of life is a is basically a static i think it says that's a faith-based statement there is no evidence or proof anywhere in scientology outside of subjective experience in an auditing session and that's an interpretation of an experience that proves the existence of a non-corporeal non-physical right entity that is all expansive all powerful and cause that's something you have to just believe is true. And once you believe that, the rest of Scientology can make sense. And if you don't believe that, none of it really makes any sense at its core. Would you agree with that statement? I wouldn't say the all or nothing at the end, uh-huh. but the rest of it. Yeah, like I'd say you'd probably struggle with a lot of it because it doesn't really gel um i would say that that's the case with all metaphysical systems that's why they're metaphysics beyond physics um they they we don't you yeah at some point you do have to rely on on faith in all religious systems yeah but having having sat in on epistemology classes at at uni i'm I'm gonna say that that's also the case for every fucking thing that we think we know <laughs> like oh you, i won't argue in, with you about that yeah you sit in on epistemology and it's like sure no one knows no one knows what's going on like at base we're real like the 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 folks out there going oh i uh, religion's rubbish i don't have faith it's like yeah trust me you've, you've got faith in either empiric your empirical observations or your rationalism or your reason or you know uh yeah various other things um Absolutely. so yeah it's it's i don't necessarily like i i agree that at, at base scientology is is still faith um but i don't mean i don't think it's a 
mark against it because it's like, well, yeah, along with everything else. Well, the only reason that I bring it up as a point that is that is important to me to mention and, and argue for is because as a Scientologist and to this day in the Church of Scientology, um, my experience is and was that almost every single Scientologist will argue with you that it is not faith-based and that you do not have to just believe anything. This is in their marketing materials as well. It's all a tool set that you apply, and by applying it, you see it's true, and therefore it is true. And this is the attitude towards knowledge and faith and belief in Scientology, at least from my experience and study of the work. And so I never imagined when I was a Scientologist for all those years that it was a faith-based thing. And it was only after I came out and was really kind of learning about epistemology and knowledge and belief versus fact and that sort of thing that this became kind of clear to me that there is this sort of core, I don't know if I want to use the word hypocrisy, but certainly conflict, conflict of ideas that Scientologists run around telling people, I don't believe it works. I know it works. <laughs> and you go, man, I really don't know if you understand these words you're using, despite the fact that you've spent so many hours in dictionaries. And and you and you you know you have to cite from and I, I don't. I'm, this is not a criticism of you. It's go, just go, go. you have to go to epistemology to start making arguments about. Yeah. Well, you know, it's all faith. True enough. I've been there. And at so, the end of the day, we could be living in the matrix and all of science could be full of it because, you know, so I get that. But in Scientology, I think there's a hypocrisy there. Yeah. Um, and when a certain thing happened to me and I started to break away, I found myself in a library and it was external books that undid that belief structure, that faith. Yeah. I do agree with what you're saying that in Scientology, there is that there tends to be people who are, I would say, insular to external philosophy, uh, yeah. philosophy of science, uh, these sorts of things we're talking about. Yeah. So it does break down into that. People say these things that you're like, come on, mate, really? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just did the mate thing, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a real life example, not put on. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, I still have contact with some Scientologists, mm -hmm. um, very few. Uh, and I find that they found there's there's a commonality between the Scientologists I get along with and that I don't, mm -hmm. um, just being reductive about it. They found Scientology later in life and they usually have some, they usually finished high school, they maybe did some university. So they have their own external education that they can view what Hubbard's saying and go, oh, okay, I can take that, I can leave that, or yeah. Like, you know, it was one of these people who pointed out to me, speaking of the axioms. So we were going over some of the axioms going, yeah, this is interesting. You know, just analyzing it philosophically, oh, maybe, yes, no. But one of the things he pointed out was like, hang on, these are called axioms. Are they self-evident? Like, that's what an axiom, these are not self-evident. He could call them postulations. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying the axioms are wrong, but to call them axioms is just a misnomer. Uh, and yeah, so you get that, you get that in Scientology, don't you? Of that, yeah. I, I can't, I can't, I can't push back against you. Um, but well, maybe I can in terms of it's one thing I've been fascinated with, and and you know, to anyone listening, I'm I'm learning. I, I'm in my third year of a BA, a Bachelor of Arts, and then I've got honors, and then I've got a doctorate. So I'm I'm still learning. I'm still a Padawan. I, I'm not 
I'm not coming at this from like, I know what the truth is. I'm just, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. Um, and the, the one thing that really fascinates me is the sociological nature of Scientology versus having taken some sociology versus the actual theology philosophy. So, uh, like I was looking through the word clearing, some of the word clearing references recently, and then comparing it to how word clearing is actually treated in the church. And they're, they're different. They're, they're just different ever so slightly. Um, but I do believe that in the church, that's kind of beaten out of you to some degree. Like if you had a different, like, like for one, for one thing, the so I'm a linguistics major, so mm. one of my keen interests is is word clearing because of, because of that. So one thing Hubbard says is that if you don't clear all the other definitions, then it remains a misunderstood word. Mm -hmm. Now linguistically, that's not a sound idea because it's not not how language works. Words are constantly coming in and out of definitions. Languages come together, separate dialects, meanings. It's it's language is more in flux than. I, I, as an aside, I'm completely against all of the political correctness surrounding language and pronouns. I don't give a crap about it all just because my, it's not what I'm being taught at university. It's what I'm taking out of it. Language just doesn't work that way. It's, it's, I, I, I defer to something more intentional, which is kind of a Scientology view, if you will. I just think it's a, it's about what your intentions are. Yeah. But the, the, the idea that you need to clear all the other definitions is nonsensical because it, it then becomes a game of like, oh, I'm going to choose a dictionary that has the least amount of oh, definitions. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Webster's Young Readers. <laughs> right, yeah. The preferred dictionary of Scientologists around the world. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we I've been learning how the OE, the Oxford English Dictionary works, the full one. Yeah. And that's a histor historical dictionary. It's tracing language change. And to use that to clear a word in the present is... A interesting practice, an interesting way of going about it. You could find yes. any definition of any word. Um, yes. And, but, you know, I, I always, I, I try and steal man Hubbard. I'm like, okay, well, let's take him seriously. And, and let's, let's see if he's got something here. And I mean, we could probably do a whole discussion on word clearing and my probably. Uh, nascent <laughs> thoughts on it. Yeah. I, I, and I haven't got any conclusion. So we might save that for if I actually do a thesis on it or something, but sure. um you could, you could, one way you could rationalize the, the extra definition clearing step is he says like, you just need to make sentences until you've got a clear concept of the word or the right. definition. But what about if you already have a clear concept? And this is something I already remember. I remember having this sort of cognitive dissonance about this and this questioning, even when I was in the Scientology and questioning some people saying, because in word clearing, you clear the definition and then they say, okay, here's, here's, here's the next definition make some sentences and i'd kind of be like why like i i understand it already and and they're like no that's that's the next definition you have you've got to make a sentence or if even if you're like you want to clear the next definition they want you to make at least one sentence or some people wouldn't want to make at least two sentences because it says sentences yeah, that's right in reference that's right and so, so these points of difference I believe as like a more Protestant version of Scientology, I'm not a Scientologist now, I, I don't think, but I still have, I just say I grew up in Scientology, like whatever, I don't really care what people want to label me. Um, but if I was going to like apply word clearing now, let's say I was honestly going to be like, I'm a Scientologist again, I'm going to, I'm going to apply word clearing. I would do it differently than the church does it. And I still believe I would be following 
Hubbard's instructions standardly. So yeah, I, I agree that as you get into this is how we got onto this, like as you get into the church and deeper into it, there's one way to do things. It's the correct way. I mean, even when they change a reference or, you know, Miscavige brings out an altered version, uh, that was a Freudian slip, a new version of the, uh, the references. Um, it, it's like all of a sudden the old way is a hundred percent incorrect and the new way is a hundred percent correct. That's and right. that is something that I just don't buy. I, I don't, I don't buy interpretation like that. Right. So, and we could probably talk about, uh, well, it's a, well, it's all it's yeah. it's what you just said is basically a summary ver, summary uh, under uh, statement of the bedrock foundation of independent Scientology. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's and that's not a movement I have chased or I'm interested in chasing. I just so yeah. if that helps people understand where I come from, I'm really just in, interested in the theory. I'm interested in human ideas. And I don't really care who they come from. And my interest in Scientology, I think, is one, pragmatic. It's like, well, I already have a history in it, so why not? Um, but also, I don't see anyone else talking about it. And I love talking about things or finding out stuff that no one else is talking about. So if there was some other academic who was doing what I'm planning on doing, I'd probably just abandon it and do something else. But <laughs> I just don't see that happening. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, I think we've clarified for everybody kind of a little bit, at least, about where you're coming from and what you're trying to, how you're thinking about this. Uh, maybe a little different from how I think about it. But that's the thing about academia and different and categorizing things into different subject matters or, or, or ways of approaching knowledge or information or the real world and how we interpret it is the great thing about the different subjects is, is you really get to approach these things from, from a completely different perspective. And every one of them has validity, has, has, has things about it that make it make sense within particular paradigms or particular rules or whatever, however you want to, however you want to frame that. And so I, so I'm all down, I'm down for that. I love that. I love that about that. That's the thing maybe that I kind of appreciate and love about academia most. You know, I will complain all day long about the human element of academia and the jealousy and the bureaucracy and the so, nonsense. So will I actually. Oh, yeah. just, just drive. You want to tear your hair out over all the ego and all the nonsense. But the, but the breakdown and categorization of areas of knowledge and areas of research and how to approach a subject or mm. an experience or things people do, I love that. I think that's, I think that's kind of as close as we get to, to really breaking down and understanding knowledge and, and experience. And I, I just, I, that's what gets me going. So, so yeah. I'm, and I think you it's, know. I think it speaks volumes to, like there's something about that as as life forms or humans that we come at things from different angles and, and explore them. Um, you know, one of my early breaks from the hardcore uh, orthodox version of Scientology, if you will, was actually the logics, Hubbard's logics, where he talks, he, he mentions that, you know, it's, uh, I should have it to hand, but it's like, you know, you need a, you need a, a, a contrary, not a contrary, but other data to associate with information to get, the different perspective otherwise you kind of don't know what you're talking about and my and i think he uses it of like it's got to be of a equivalent datum of datum or, of comparable magnitude that's thank you yeah um so um you can see how yeah anyway <laughs> okay. um so uh yeah i'm learning still right uh so uh for me i was like well this was the in-between time we'll get in the story soon but after the there was a break and then i was like what am i going to do and i'm like well 
if I'm just getting information from one source, doesn't Hubbard say himself, you've got to get alternate information. And then, yeah, that alternate information is, well, how we get here. So maybe we'll tell the story. Well, now. we're going to, we're literally about to get into that. So, um, cause I know you're keen to do so. And I, and like I said, I just wanted to sort of, since we, since we got into this starting about some differences, I thought we might highlight some of those differences and similarities yeah, in, in how we're looking smart. at this. So let's go ahead and, and why don't you go ahead and just tell me, you know, tell the audience, right? What's your, you're a second generation Scientologist, which I think everybody mm -hmm. in my audience understands means you grew up with it like mm -hmm. I did. And that is mm -hmm. a very different thing from a first generation convert to it. And and you highlighted one of the differences where you have a pre-cult, pre-I, you know, pre-Scientology education and view and, and perspective of it. Whereas us, you know, we were never asked whether we wanted to do it. And we were never really asked whether we thought it was true or not. It was like, this is how the world is. And that's the sort of, you know, hallmark of being a second generation member is that that's kind of how you grow up with it. And then you, you know, learn critical thinking skills maybe at some point and then start questioning and that kind of thing. And eventually it leads to conversations like this. So, yeah. Uh, you know, Although, so, I, it, from yeah. what I've seen, I haven't seen anyone who really leaves, who's been in it really hard, who leaves because they, like it seems to be some sort of incident that pisses them off, that sets off the, the it, it then does. they go find the critical thinking skills. It seems that's to be right. there's a precursor of like, yeah, that's interesting. It's but, the, it's yeah, the it's unforgivable, it's the unforgivable moral transgression and emotional experience of betrayal that, that causes the separation. And that's what yeah. kicks in the frontal lobes and the critical thinking. It, it, you have to experience that. I believe there has to be some form of that before that, as you said, before that critical thinking kicks in. Well, I guess if everything's hunky-dory, then why bother changing? You know, That's right. Happy. That's um, right. Someone pointed out to me recently that all of the most famous ex-Scientologists, uh, yourself, Leah, Mike, uh, now Aaron, uh, even Ian Rafalco, are all second-generation Scientologists. Yeah. And I, th I thought that's an interesting. And he said, this this guy used to work for OSINT. He contacted me after I was declared. Uh, he was a, a good friend of uh, my father's. And um, he, my father has passed about 10 years ago. Uh, and he pointed this out and he said, you know, he, from his perspective, he had to really fight for Scientology to exist in the first place, talking tax exemption, things like that. Yeah. So his generation, he said, will take a lot more than the second generations because we didn't have to go we didn't really have to do that we just arrived and then it if, if people are going to give us crap we're like fuck you we're out of here why do we have to deal with this and i think that's a very interesting insight so he was saying he's trying to get that through to the people in the church now saying like you guys are going to have to change tack here you can't just keep doing it like it's the 60s and 70s that's not going to work and i think that's fascinating and, and all power to him I, I don't i don't care i have no interest in that sort of thing but right. that's uh, that's his game so so yeah so i was born into uh scientology as chris said um my father was on staff for uh one more little interjection here i'm actually not looking forward to telling this story uh i but I feel that just for context, I'm not going to make sense when I appear later on writing these books that are very, I think they're going to be kind of neutral. They may even say a lot of positive things about the church. And I think people are going to be really confused. Like, who the hell is this guy? Where is he coming from? Sure. Um, so I, I think uh, I said positive things. I don't know if I'm going to say positive things, but we'll see what happens. Yep. Um, so so I was born into Scientology. Um, both my mum and dad were on staff uh, in Sydney, York. 
and my mum was a class five um, auditor, um, auditing clears. This so I was born in eighty six. So she uh, this is before golden age of tech came out. Um, and I'm just going to use Scientology here because it's going to be too hard to. No, totally. Tell yeah, we we can keep up. No worries. Yeah. Um, and uh, dad was various posts from Purify C, OES, Exec Esto, uh, different just, uh, different executive functions in the church. Very executive, highly respected, but also highly not feared. But he was a bit of a, a mother, mother, mother effer, if you will. <laughs> like he was one of those Scientologists, you know. And, yeah. and that's rubbed off on me. So I I have that. I used to be that, and it's still in me. And it's something that I've been on a journey with myself, learning to deal with people in the real world. Sure. Um, I wouldn't know anything about that. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Exactly, right? Yeah. Um, So I I don't particularly have any complaints about my childhood up to about 15 years of age. Mm -hmm. There was definitely... What I would say that is shared between me and some of the other stories I've heard is there was a bit of neglect in terms of I just wasn't given as much time as as and my mum and and has we've spoken about it since she's like yeah I'm sorry and I'm like that's cool mum that's that's how it went you know but um yeah that just seems to you know she was under pressure to make auditing hours and dad was on staff so I just had a lot of um in between time and and I actually my childhood I don't really remember any of it particularly which is a bit sad but hmm. um yeah so um now mum and dad actually split when i was about six months old which meant oh. i was between houses mm-hmm. uh now, now not every week but like every you know i think from zero to three i was with mum, and then from three to five i was with dad and then you know like every few years there'd be a shift so my first two three years of primary school were the was the athena school which is the scientology school in sydney um, now being so young, I, I didn't, I didn't have any bad experiences there that I recall. It seemed to me fine. Then I went to live with mum for years three, four, and five. So that's, um, I'm like seven, eight, nine or something like that, or maybe nine, 10. Um, and, um, that was a progressive, like liberal public school. And that was my really good time of life. Um, and then, as I started to get a bit older, um, so so in 96, I'm 10 years old, Golden Age of Tech comes out, mum leaves staff under bad circumstances, not too bad, but bad enough um, because someone wanted to declare her just because she was trying to leave staff because they were trying to get her to do 25 hours in the chair plus study Golden Age of Tech. Yeah, I remember that. Plus yeah. raise me. And she just went, look, this isn't going to work. And she just, she said no eventually. Right. Do we want um, to say? Do we want to say where this was? This is all in Sydney. All in Sydney. Okay. Got yeah. It. So this is all in Sydney. I'm from born and bred in Sydney. Okay. Um, so then this is all to do with Sydney Org, and then there's a an advanced org in Sydney as well. There's also a CLO, the the CLG, there in Sydney. Um, so I lived with Mum for those few years, and and had a basically a normal life. Um, and then I would see dad on the weekends and dad lived very austere. He was in a bachelor like studio apartment. Um, and I had, I have great memories of my father. He was a great dad. Um, and I'd say my, you know, critiquing my parents, sorry, mom, I'm sure you will listen to this. Mom's probably a little bit too lax and dad was probably a bit too strict. So between the two of them, which is probably normal for parents anyway, uh, it's probably, I've got children now and that's probably how 
uh, my parenting is too compared to my wife's. Um, so, uh, yeah, like nothing really of note happened until I was, um, we, we moved to another, another suburb way out West in Sydney, a place called Blacktown from like a nice progressive school to like a, a different sort of school that was double the size. And I started, I didn't understand social dynamics of cliques and so on and these kids. And I was getting into fights and my grades started dropping. And then I, this was for the last year of primary school. And then I stuffed up on my high school entrance, entrance exam. I wasn't a, a dumb kid. I was getting, you know, distinctions and high distinctions in math and science and so on in primary school. They put me in the lowest class in high school uh, for the first year and things really started to go downhill. I was already going into the orgs in school holidays, into the orgs in school holidays, doing those old life improvement courses, yeah. which which for a kid uh, were pretty good, I thought. Um, and I, I know that now they have newer life improvement courses. And I think for a kid, I kind of preferred the old one. They had those really corny like drawings like yes. they were just like so corny i remember coming back to it and as a dog going well, what this is what i read like these are these are so corny but as a kid it was like oh this is kind of funny you know how oh, that like i i liked the jokes as a kid <laughs> so uh i um when i was so i was going through a bad time at school this is my first year of high school and i was in the org with my dad who was still on staff on the weekend or whatever. And the CLO used to exist above Sydney Org on the third floor. So they would walk in up the stairs and I would see these people in uniforms. I never really understood what they were. One of them got to chatting me, turned into a recruit cycle. I was 13 and a half. And the next thing I know, I'm like, this is, this is, yeah, let's, let's do this. Um, because life wasn't the greatest at that, that time with schooling and so on. So I couldn't I couldn't join at 13 and a half due to child labor laws in Australia. I had to be uh, 15 mm. before you could leave at that time. I think they've changed it now, but that's that's what it was at the time. So I um I moved in with that um to prepare for the seal. So I left school and started studying Scientology full time in the in the org there. And that wasn't that was not as good. I was doing a standard school schedule, like just like a nine o'clock to three thirty break. Like I wasn't going all the way till six, but I um developed a study bug and that's going to be pertinent to later but mm. what, yeah, what, like, what do you mean you developed a study bug was that i mean? couldn't read a i couldn't read a page by the end of it i just i think i just introverted on study tech and like oh no there's a misunderstood word here or something i don't know i just mm. i don't know i was a kid maybe i wanted a game i don't know like that's using some scientology think to to justify that there but i, I don't know i just it i couldn't study i became a very bad student mm. um and so then when 15 came along, um, uh, oh, I, though I used to go home. So dad was on, on staff till six. So I'd go home every day and I started learning to play guitar. So you got the guitar back there. So there's several more scattered around the room. Uh, you know, so it was a great time in other ways. Cause I'd get all this free time and, 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 you know, I don't want to say it was a terrible time, but the, the org was kind of boring for me at that time, the, the study itself. So I joined at 15, pretty much straight away into the Sea Org. Okay. Um, but but I couldn't I couldn't study. So this is the Sea Org in Sydney, um, called Anzo Base. Um, I I couldn't study. So I was on the EPF, which is your basic training for six months, and if only I, finished. If, if I could interrupt you for just a second, and yet you could learn guitar. Yeah. So and someone pointed this out to me, um, and later I did a bit of IT when I was still had this study bug and mm. I look back on it and I'm quite sure it was something to do with church study. 
Um, because well, as I said, I was a, yeah. You're not the only person in Scientology at a at that age that I've encountered mm-hmm. who had that exact problem. There were staff right. in Twin Cities. There were staff in other organizations I went to who had the exact same thing. And I'm not trying to imply some thing, but I'm just pointing out it's a little interesting that they just couldn't read or study Scientology yeah. anymore. <clears throat> but it didn't mean they were shut down in other areas of their life. And I always found that so weird and so fascinating. And after leaving, of course, started reflecting on that that there, that, that it can't be that that has nothing to do with study tech. There must be a relationship maybe, there. Maybe it's to do with the BSM and the basic study manual, study skills for life and, and yeah. these other kids' study books because yeah. they're they're not Hubbard-written. They're based on the works of Aaron Hubbard. They're books bought out I don't know when or by whom. And um, I remember when I finally did the student hat, I looked back on the BSM with quite a lot of animosity of, of just how fucking stupid it was in the way it um the way it tied some things together so for example in the bsm it says when you have a misunderstood word you can get a nervous hysteria mm-hmm. but if you listen to the student hat lectures he says it's a sort of a nervousness and a sort of hysteria two separate concepts and i always remember as a kid thinking what the fuck is a nervous hysteria like what is that and you know of course then you get into these weird definitions and you know it's all going to be handled and there was just a lot about study tech that when i finally did the student hat i was like that bsm stuff that's crap that's like indoctrination level stuff it's too low resolution and i understand why it's there to they think it's going to assist the child in some basic study skills but i don't know like if i was going to come about that from a hubbard point of view you would say that it's kind of squirrel tech in a way it's kind of like you've changed it and pushed it into this smaller way to spoon feed it to children. And I, because I come about Scientology from a philosophical aspect, I'm like, don't, don't do that. So anyway, that's one explanation. It's probably, it could not be the right, I'm, you know, you could also come about it from your, I'm sure you're just going to say I, I, I'm not going to debate this particular <laughs> yeah. issue with you. We, we'll I, get lost. Yeah, right? yeah, we'll just get lost in everything. I, yeah. I will and, say and, that and I'm, I'm just acknowledging, musing. but not necessarily fully agreeing with what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. But whatever. And I'm just, I, that's just my musings. I, I yeah. don't even necessarily subscribe to that. I'm just, just because you mentioned that other people have that, I'm like, maybe it's something to do with the BSM or something. I don't know. Like it could be. Anyway, so yeah, I, I, I know. I will. The only thing I'll contribute is that I know for a fact from having word cleared thousands of people over thousands of hours hmm. that. There is a kind of internal paranoia that can be instilled by those materials on people when it comes to learning because they become absolutely terrified of going past words they don't understand. And as you've already pointed out with the word clearing, it's not like it's this, um, you know, solid evidence-based peer-reviewed form of how to learn it's it's the exact opposite of that it's nothing but somebody's rando opinion about how to learn taken by hubbard to an extreme level and some scientologists that i encountered in my time took it to an extreme of an extreme where it literally halted their ability to learn and i and i didn't see that at the time for appreciated at the time for what it was because i was in that headspace myself where no this is what works and nothing else does so it's only after leaving and reflecting on that that I thought, wow, that's that's it's a that's a whole nother level of of kind of not you know awful nonsense that can occur there. Yeah, well, 
Uh, and we're probably going to get stuck on a lot of tangents. Yeah. One wanna, thing that is yeah. interesting about about Scientology and its its applied sort of psychological practice is, as you pointed out, it's not evidence based. It's not peer reviewed. It's an extrapolation of Hubbard's philosophy. So it's a different take on um, how to do psychology, if you will. It's saying, sure. here's a philosophy, and I'm going to extrapolate out the therefores. I'm going to d- deduce and also infer from that. And it's a, it's a very different way of approaching it. Um, so, yeah, well, we can probably discuss that another time. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, we could probably do a whole talk on the linguistic side of Scientology, which is fascinating, um, yep. which would include word clearing. Um, so... Yeah, so I joined the Sea Org and I was on the this basic training, the EPF, States Projects Force, for uh, six months. And I, I was, so the, for anyone who doesn't know, the basic training in the Sea Org is uh, five, hour, five hours a day of physical work um, so that you can confront physical work and able to handle the physical universe and five hours a day of studying Scientology materials. So the physical work I got really good at um, and I could do it really well, uh, but I just couldn't get through the, the study. So I ended up being... Um, Basically, there's a method of word clearing where it's called method seven, where you you know you basically explain it. <laughs> yeah. So, <it's, laughs> so that that's how that's I got right. through. Um, and then I lasted on crew for like two months um, because I couldn't study and and the food was at the time was like soupy stuff with lots of adult vegetables, and I was still a kid. I'm 15. I'm like I'm not eating spinach, you know, stuff like that. So then I wouldn't eat, and I was going a bit burko. And so after two months, I, I threw the towel. I was like, no, I'm not doing this. Um, but you know, routing out, it took me two months and a friend and we had a blast because we, we used to, um, so the, the bus, so in in Sydney, the, the situation has changed now, but at the time there was the base where everyone lived. And then there's the CLO above the class five org in the city. That's about a half hour drive. And then another 10 minute drive is the AO, okay. uh, also in the city, but on the other side of the city. And we, uh, me and this guy, Kobe, hi Kobe, if you're watching. Uh, we uh, were both routing out, and we were still getting paid full pay because I don't know the administration lines weren't very good. I think he's supposed to be on half pay or less, but we were getting full pay, which was seventy dollars Australian at the time. And we would hop in the bus, and when the bus got to the CLO, we would take the food up to the CLO, and the bus would leave, and then we would go upstairs, up the back entrance where the people aren't seeing you, and give the food to the CLO people and say, oh, the bus is waiting for us. We're going to go back downstairs. We'll go back downstairs and the bus is gone. So the people at the AO think we're at the CLO doing the dishes. People at the CLO think we're at the AO doing dishes. We've got 70 bucks and we're in the center of Sydney in the CBD and we're going to go downtown. So there was a pizza hut, all you can eat. I think it was $8 uh, all you can eat. So once a day, 70 bucks, $8, you know, like we were covered for the whole week and we would even have had money left over to see movies sometimes. So, wow. you know, the the stories I hear about people, you know, at the int base routing out and there's like chain link fences and also like, I just have never experienced any of that. I've never seen anyone get hit. One time someone punched someone because of a, because of a disagreement about some money or something. They like stole his reg cycle, but that nothing to do with the church. It's not institutional violence. It was just someone being an idiot. And there was a big deal. Everyone was like, Whoa, what the hell happened there? So, you know, I've never seen violence. I've never seen, I've heard of some people sleeping under steps and stuff, but I never saw it myself in the seal. I never, I, I, there, there were some occupational health and safety things. I look back on it. I'm like, that's not cool. That could do with a safety inspection maybe, but Nothing, nothing like you guys have experienced, and I think that's why I'm not, I'm not that bitter. I don't have bitterness about my time in the Seal right. then, 
So I left and I went to live with my grandma in Adelaide um, and she's still with us and she's just, I just adore her. And I studied IT for two years. Yeah, so I couldn't study, but I studied IT for two years and got a job and then moved back to Sydney and um, paid for some auditing. I paid about $30,000 for auditing as a 19-year-old off my own bat. Um, to try and handle my terrible second dynamic and my terrible study bug. Those are the two things that were like ruining me in life. And, you know, I look back on that and I think the study bug was kind of self-imposed and the second dynamic stuff was like, I was a 19 year old male. Like this was literally, (laughs) there was literally no problem. It's, it was just like self self auditing, just nonsense. It's just nonsense. It's like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I yeah, did not experience just, any conflict in romantic entanglements as a young man yeah, in Scientology. It's like, oh, you know, yeah. oh, God, the you know, in, in Anzo, most of the execs for a long time were females. And I mentioned this to Anne recently. She's like, holy crap. I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's why. It's because they can just abstain from the area altogether if they choose. So there's no trouble. So... Anyway, that's a, it's, an aside. It's a, it's, I, I have noted a few times already over the years that um, that there are an awful lot of female executives in Scientology, and, that, and the reason for that is 100% because of qualifications. And right. those qualifications yeah. in Scientology include your sexual history. And if yeah, there yeah. is any kind of hanky-panky, perversion, whatever, according to Scientology standards. Victorian standards, yes, yeah. right. Nineteen fifty, yeah. leave it to Beaver standards. Yeah, yeah, right. Then that's how it's going to be. Also, I'd like to comment, you know, on terms of your experience, that it's not unusual at all. I had a guy on the RPF back in PAC who was the commanding officer of the uh, CLO or AOSH UK, hmm. and I think it was this. No, he was. I think he was CMO. I think he was the head of CMO there. Like, like kind of high level guy and he got busted to the rpf and he and his comment was he had he had failed to appreciate like how lax things get the farther you physically get away from central management of scientology yeah Yeah. and australia is about as far away as you can get you know literally it is the furthest away yeah yeah so, so you, it's, it is truly, and that's one of the reasons I was, I was looking forward to this is because it is such an interesting compare and contrast that, that, that the structure and framework and compliance culture and all that, it's all still there, but the level of enforcement of it is, is, is definitely dialed down compared to if you go to Los Angeles or Clearwater where David Miscavige hangs out or mm. where the hardcore Sea Org members and the, and the management structures are because those people are like zero fuck around. They just, they just do, they are nose to the grindstone. And if you aren't either, you are out ethics scumbag and you know, you're going to be scrubbing pots till three in the morning until you learn. Well, and, I'll tell you, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, actually, so I went back to the Sea Org, but I'll, so I'll tell you a story. We'll yeah. hold that thought. So yeah, the differences. Uh, so, uh, I bought this auditing and I, it was okay. It was nice. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I've had this discussion with a few people, the difference between a release and clear. I do think Scientology can give you release from stress. Um, if done under the right circumstances, I sure you're going to have a lot of pushback and I do too. And I get, I I get that. I'm not going to say that you're not going to experience emotional highs as a result of Scientology auditing. That's the last thing I'm going to say. 
Right, but you're yeah. chasing you're chasing the clear state, right? Yeah. And that I think is where it gets into trouble because then anytime it it falls off, you think that you've done something wrong or you've gone PDS or something. And I I question that whole thing. But yeah. at this time, I was I was happy with the auditing. Uh, it was like okay, it was fine, but I still, you know, something in the Scientology universe just wasn't quite working for me, and I was not really sure what to do with myself. So then, um, Dad. Um, went to flag. And so he had had a falling out. He'd had a bad, after 20 years on staff, he had had a bad rating out cycle. And so I'll tell the story actually, because it gives you some insight into my dad's character. So he, he and his wife, his wife worked for Narconon in Sydney. That's the drug rehab. And he was on staff and Narconon wasn't getting pay, neither the staff in Narconon, neither were the staff in Sydney org. So they didn't have any money, but in order for the, his wife to work on staff, someone was just paying her a business, a Scientology-run business, a roofing company, was just paying her from their wages as if she worked for the roofing company just to help her. So basically, yeah, just to help her be a knock on this thing, Scientology, I didn't have any objection. Anyway, I didn't even know about it. I was 15. Um, this is stepping back a bit. This is the fallout with that. I was stepping back a bit in time. Um, and someone in the Sea stepped in and said, no, you can't do that. So then Jan... Um, my stepmom couldn't be on staff anymore. Uh, so couldn't be on Narcan on staff, or, or dad would have to. One of them had to now make money. Yep. And dad had only, had only just re signed. So every year, when every four years or five years, when his contract would be renewed, he, up for renewal, he would just re sign. Yep. So he had just re signed to go back into the TDC. He's, he got to the, he was the exec SO for something like 10 years. He was ITO trained and everything. And he said, no, nah, this, the next, he was always looking for the why, you know, as Scientologists. And he's like, no, no, these, I need to be staff, staff auditor. These, these staff that need to go up the bridge. He, he, he made it to OT4 on, on staff. So he, he was doing pretty well. Um, so only a few months in, this incident happened with Narconon and the pay. And so he said, you know what, Jan, you go on the TDC and I'll go work. So he went and got a normal job and Jan went on to staff. So he replaced himself off staff. All right. And just for the audience, because I know we're throwing a lot of acronyms around and yeah, I really don't I'm want sorry. you guys to worry about it. Do you, it not at all. You, you just say whatever yeah. you, you want to say. I'll just butt in from time to time as I feel necessary. TTC is an odd one. TTC is Technical Training Core, and it's the name for the where they put you in a Scientology organization when you're going to be doing full-time training as a staff member, you're going to go and you're going to go either locally or maybe you go to Los Angeles or you go to a higher organization and you do training and you're a TTC member, quote unquote. And that's and that's a temporary thing. You're there, you do the training, and then they post you on an actual job where you apply that training, whether it's auditor or supervisor or word clear or executive uh, there's an admin training core. It's really the same damn thing, right? It's just full-time training. So just to clear that concept. Yeah, up. you know, I actually want to set myself up as someone who doesn't speak Scientologies at all, but I, for this particular story and this podcast, just this episode, I'm like, I don't know how to do this, trying to explain all the concepts as I go. Not on, a so problem. Apologies to folks there. Yeah. Um. So, so dad went off and started making good money and then paid for OT5 at the AO in Sydney. Uh, which was, I think, about $50,000 or maybe wow. 80000 Yeah, he paid cash. Yeah, it sounds uh, about right. And it's expensive. OT5 is is about three, four, five intensives of auditing OT levels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so he he paid that and he paid the reg and then he went to route through the lines and they said, oh, you're a freeloader. And he's like, what? 
Ugh. And they said, yeah, you, you're a freeloader. You routed off staff without finishing contract. He's like, no, no, I replaced myself. So there was this whole thing with him and his status. And he's like, but you just took my 50K. So dad, so this is why I want to tell you, sorry, this is my dad's character. He had been on staff for a long time. He knew how to play the game. He said, okay, give me my money back. So, you know, any Scientologist knows that if you get asked for a refund, you actually get declared. Um, you, yep. you, you, there, there's no such thing as a refund. So dad knew that. And he was bluffing. Of course, he, he knew that to go through the refund lines, number one, it takes so long, it never happens. And you know, he knew it would never come to that. But he was really playing a stiff game of bluff with them and saying, no, you took it. Let me take that money back and I'll pay my freeloader off with that. While he was arguing with the CLO saying, no, you can replace yourself off staff. So this is one of those nuances of the policies of like, can you replace yourself off staff or can you replace yourself onto another post? And he was arguing, no, I replaced myself so that I gave you my my wife so I can go and make money. And now I'm trying to do OT5. Anyway. Yep. So there's some, no, some his, history. His and that- logic, his logic holds as far as that that little weird gray area that's not really addressed in the policy and it really is up for interpretation. Yeah. And I I, I tell the story because that's my dad's character and that's important because, you know, that sort of fuck you, that that's that's Australia. That's who we are. And that's who dad was as well. So um so anyway, so dad finally went to flag. Um now I'm 2020 i'm 20 i'm living back in sydney and so this is about five six years he was off staff and um he went to flag and he came back just just scientology he was like back in the game he he loved it he was he was right in the game and he, he came back and he said to me look um there's only two games you play in scientology one is you help others get out the bridge and the other one is you get out the bridge yourself you're not in a position to get up the bridge yourself, so you should go back to the silk. And I said, okay, that was it. So dad recruited me to go back to the silk. Wow. Um, and at the time I was, but I had debts from the auditing. Um, so oh, he also said you should go to seal at flag um, because that's where it's better. Now I look at that now and I'm really glad I didn't do that. But at the time that was his perception of, and my perception too, you know, this idea that as you get close to the top, it's better. I think I've learned otherwise since. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I try, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, see, all of Chris has done the podcast, so I, um, <laughs> yeah, let's say you'd have a very different experience if you had been in the Sea Org at Flag in the 90s, especially. Oh, my God. Well, this is the 2000s, but yeah, yeah, and especially me being me, son of John, and the rest of it, <laughs> yeah. um, Australian, yeah. so, uh, Right, and right, interesting 2000s. story, I, I did go to Flag for a week just to check out the place. Mm-hmm. And I asked, I said, do you have any other Australians here? And there was, I think there was only one or two, like it was really rare mm-hmm. for an Australian to be like, and I, I think it is the cultural difference of just like, you know, they, oh, you need to go do that. Nah, mate, fuck off. That's that's an Australian answer. Like, just, you're not going to do that. Like, and I remember speaking to seniors in the SEAL in Australia, almost like that and it being kind of how it was. So it's a very different culture. Um, although I did get in trouble for it too much. Anyhow, uh, so it was, uh, so it was 2006 and I tried to get debts paid and I was making progress, but I, this thing kicking around with Scientology and I just, something wasn't quite working. 2007, uh, July basics came out. Right. I watched the basics event and something struck me. I thought, you know, 
if I'm not doing that well in Scientology and I wasn't quite happy with my progress and what, who I was and so on, then according to Hubbard, I must be doing something wrong or someone else is doing something wrong, right? That's the theory of it. Mm-hmm. It's out, chaos, out keeping Scientology working. You're not applying correctly. It's always what did you do wrong or what did that person do wrong? It's not Hubbard or the tech. And of course, I grew up with this instilled in me. So I figured something's not right. It's the basics came out. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to start again. I'm just going to start with the original thesis, 1948. Everyone was saying you should start with Dynamics. I was like, no, nah. start with the original thesis. I bought a books package. I didn't go in the org. I didn't speak to anyone about it. And I just started studying at home. I didn't care about word clearing tech, all of that, because this is, I still had this study bug. I was like, no, no, all of it. All of Scientology can go away out of my mind. I'm just going to start again. All of the second dynamic, you know, sex and relationship stuff, all of it. I just threw all the morality out. I said, you know, I'm just going to start again. And I had a blast. I did really well. Um, I, now I want to temper this by saying I had no high school education. I only did half a year of high school and I joined the city. So I'm learning things from Hubbard about history and philosophy and different ideas, but I had no other education. So I'm not recommending that someone does this. And if you do the basics, it's going to blow your mind. I think if I was to do it now, it probably wouldn't blow my mind having a university education, but at the time, it, it really did help me. And I think also being away from the influence of the church, it just, I, I just, that, that was always trouble for me, mm. but I still wanted to join the seal because I thought that that was the greatest good still. Uh, so now, now if I might interrupt for just a second, yeah. just to clarify, I, I'm not challenging you in any way. I'm actually go, very go. curious about this. I want you to challenge me. Go for it. No, well, we'll, we'll get there, but I'm just saying okay. on this yeah, yeah. one, you just said, well, it helped me. And I want to mm. know, what does that mean at, at that time in that place with your study? What did you feel was help? I remember being in the shower once and feeling outside of my head. And I also remember just waking up in the morning and every day was just bright and beautiful and just getting along with people and just using the ideas from the tone scale and from um, theta mess theory, uh, factors, PDCs, these sorts of ideas that I just thought were actually, I hadn't said that stuff yet. I was up to the history of man. So we're 1952. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more from the advanced procedure and action axioms, 1951 and science of survival mm-hmm. era, self-analysis. Um, now it's an interesting question you bring up because is it that I was so shitty with learning a bad version of Scientology, if we can say that from the sociological side of the church, that learning a more simplified version was just such a relief that therefore I get up in the morning and I'm happy. You know, that that could well be an explanation. So when I say I feel great, there could be a number of reasons for that. It could have just been the fact that I was spending more time alone for the first time in my life and listening to lectures. I used to go home after work, put headphones on and a CD player and have a hot chocolate and listen to a lecture. Now I was under no pressure to clear words. No one was over me saying, what's your progress? I didn't have to do those damn extension courses. I just, I just in my own time, just going through it and going, oh, that's interesting. And then I would, you know, I wasn't even talking. I wasn't into philosophy back then so much. So I wasn't even going discussing the nuanced points with anyone. Uh, it, you know, so it's totally fine if, if someone wants to listen to what I've just said and go, you know, it's, just because he was on nothing to do with Hubbard. Uh, maybe maybe I would have had the exact same reaction if I was listening to Pink Floyd every night. Totally fine. But whatever it was, it just, the gestalt of the situation was I was having a really good time in life. Right. And 
Yeah. I do remember some of the stuff Hubbard said did about being not so serious. See, Hubbard said some really interesting things in those early basics lectures. Like he says things like, you know, like some of this is just my opinion. Yes. You know, stuff stuff that the Scientologists that I was dealing with in the org didn't seem to know. Like, you know, like anything Hubbard said was like fact. But I I came I started coming at it from just a, such a more like a relax, like just chilled out sort of version. And it's it's really interesting because where this story goes is that kind of is the first that's laying the bedrock for me coming out of Scientology. And I really think it's interesting that it was Miscavige's like chief baby project to get those basics out. And in my opinion, anyone I know, Scientologists who have done the basics or have studied a good portion of it, they tend to be the Scientologists who aren't really involved in the orgs that much. So it's kind of like he's 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 done something that's contrary to what he wants to do, I think, because on that, I don't know. It's just from what I hear, I don't I, you know, I'll tell you I actually met him. I'll tell you some stories about that. But um Anyway, so I um, managed to join in late 2007 to get back into the Sea Org. Mm-hmm. And I said to the person, I said, um, um, now the debts weren't paid. And they said, well, we'll we've got a solution for that. And I said, all right, whatever. Like, I, I didn't care. So you got a solution, fine. So they were paying the debts, some weird situation. When I was 22, and I didn't really consider the ramifications of this, and that was a mistake, but I, I went in, in. And I said to them, look, I... For me, Scientology became the basics. So I said, I want to be somewhere in the bookstore. And they posted me in the bookstore. They posted me in the shipping office in the bookstore in AO. And, um, well, it's 2007. It's the basics. And some oddball things were happening with the sales. Um, yeah, now- that was during the height of it, what was going on in PAC and Clearwater was credit card fraud on a daily basis trying to get those basics packages sold it was insane in uh in la and florida so so anyway just to give that comparison what was happening in sydney well i'm not sure if i want to get into it too much you know it's interesting that we talk yeah let's just not go there um (laughs) okay but what what happened was I saw people with bars in their shoulders, that's executives, officers, doing things with the finance system. I became very versed in the finance system because I was shipping and I knew how to move. The, you know, I knew what it meant if you regged money for an auditing package and then immediately put it to books. I knew that meant that you had just claimed GI and GBS. So that's gross income and gross book sales. Right. I knew these tricks and I knew you could change the, the clock computer to turn the finance computer back in time and get an extra sale in after two. Like I knew these things and I, I saw them doing it and I started going up higher and higher and higher with the reports. I was writing a lot of reports. Um, I actually wrote an inch of reports per the comment I had later on this, which I requested, which we can talk about. Um, and I went all the way up to RTC and I lost my faith in the organization. I did. I just, which is ironic since I went back again for a third bite later, we'll get to that. But I just, I don't have any, I don't seem to have much, if any recognition for authority. And this counts at university now and just in my general life. I respect the police and firemen and ambos and things like that, but I don't have, yeah, and, and this is partly Australian. There's a famous video you can look up online. I don't know how you'd find it, but the prime minister of Australia is doing an interview with someone and he happens to be outside someone's house. And the guy comes out the front of his house and goes, mate, can you get off my lawn? You know, so that 
that that's part again like how much of this is you know just me being australian but i just lost the capacity to care what executives thought and i started calling them by their first name including the rtc rep i just didn't i didn't care i'm like yeah i'm like I'm, oh wow would, yeah. because because it's like you know the rtc rep came to me and 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 i said yeah and she's like she said you're rude and i just looked at her like uh, my my view back is like you're literally allowing people to be criminals to Scientologists committing financial fraud and you're allowing this to happen and you think I need to respect you because you've got a bar on your shoulder? I don't give a fuck. I just don't care. No, get out of my, get out of my office. So, oh, God, if Scientology was that worldwide, it would be such a different culture. Well, that, wow. well there you go. Get the Australians out there. Get them all I'll out there. You. And the Kiwis too. I tell you, that's a healthy goddamn attitude to have because it's exactly the anti-conformity, you know, smacking up again. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I wasn't that bad, but mm. that was very much my internal monologue and attitude after I graduated the RPF, which mm. ironically was probably around the same time, by the way. Right, there you, uh, go. you know, I was on the RPF in PAC while this was happening in 2007, 2008. I graduated, to, I think, 2009. So but, you would have built the call center there then? Yeah, oh, I helped build it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my wife worked there at doing the time. You know, you, oh, my yeah. God. And, yeah. uh, and when I got off the RPF, I had been through the worst they were ever going to be able to give me. And I knew it. Mm. And I wasn't going to yeah. go back to that. So my attitude after that was, I'm not impressed. You're telling yeah. me to do stuff that either can't be done or shouldn't be done. Fuck you. Why yeah. Why would I do that? You know, and I would just tell people straight up and they would look at me with these looks on there. They were just shocked that I would be this way, you know. Anyway, well, <laughs> please carry on. You know, the the other thing is I had worked as a telemarketer. Now, don't hate me everyone, it was for charity, but I was a telemarketer for about 6 months cuz you know, I was just in between jobs in my early 20s before I went back to the field because I didn't have a high school education or whatever. And when they were setting up the call center in the, in the AO, I was like, what, the, what is this? You're going to telemarket Scientology? That's just crass. Like I just was never on board with that approach in the first place. So I was always a bit like, uh, I also found out that most of the staff weren't through their basics. The staff were told to read the books only starting with Dynetics. And I was just like, that's bullshit. You need the books and the lectures. I've done them. That's what you need. And people were saying things they were like, I could see them either not being able to get through the books. And I'm like, yeah, that's because the answer's in the lecture you dismissed. Or, you know, just, you know, I, I was disaffected, if you will. And that's and yeah. that's how the church would describe me. And I would say that too. I was a disaffected person. It's like, what the hell is going on here? And because of the, there was a particular finance directive called Int Finance Directive 243, written by the Int Finance Officer Int, said Int too many times. Um, but I had it on good word from some people that knew Miscavige that said, actually, Miscavige wrote this. It's just that it's been put under this moniker because of the internal structure of the church and so on. So in Finance Directive 243, basically, it was the books reordering line. And it said that if you sold a package, Bridge or New Era, depending on which um, warehouse you're under, is going to ship the book and or the package and they made a new uh, bookstore ordering system that hooked into the finance system that actually tracked this and automatically sent books. So we had a situation in Anzo where the CPLO, the Continental Publications Liaison Office, the warehouse, if you will, the Continental Warehouse for Scientology Materials was full to the door, mm -hmm. uh, pallets all the way to the aisles. So I began to take on the point of view that these people who were selling packages for like various dodgy reasons and not wanting them delivered and for various things, I'm saying I actually took the view that they not only were they doing dodgy stuff, they're actually harming 
Scientology. And I was still a diehard Scientologist. Like I really looked at them as suppressive people. And yeah. and that, and I still do look at that action as suppressive. Like what, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Um, so I got promoted to this CPLO because the person there couldn't deal with it. And I was really good at my job. Like I had a lot of what they call in Scientology ethics protection, which is if you're doing your job, you can actually get away with a lot in the silk. And I was that guy. Like the reason I could get away with calling people by their first name and telling people to F off and all this stuff was because I was really good at my job and I had good stats to prove it. And I was getting backlog sorted and I was sorting out like major cycles that people had, you know, oh, this person can get this. And I was like, I learned shipping. And look, I made, after I left, I made a 10 year career out of warehousing from this experience. So, you know, some good came out of it. Um, so in the C- CPLO, when I was in this, this warehouse, it, that's when I learned, see, I thought this was an AO thing. Mm. And then I learned that, ah, this is it everywhere. Yep. And, and then the, the break of faith didn't just happen locally. It then was like, oh, I see. And, and I retained some like, oh, okay, well, RTC at the top might be where it's at. But everything below that, I just got like, no, nah. even local RTC. I was like, no, nah. I was like, David Miscavige and his little office might be all right, but the rest of them, no. Nah. This is, I'm just telling you my- Oh, my, no, no, I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but eventually I just might mentally folded. There's a lot of pressure. A lot of people call me bad names and stuff. And and I, I said, no, I'm not doing this. And I was still hungry. The food was still not quite right for me. I'm quite- you can't see it, but I'm quite thin. Um, I was at the time um, anyway. And um, that's genetic, but also like I need I needed a lot of food. Um, so a good friend of mine was working in the galley in the kitchens and I just dropped my shipping stuff and said, nah, and just started working in the galley with him. He needed, he needed help prepping. He was the only guy there and they all often had two people posted, but at this time it was just the one. So I was like, oh, I'll just start working with Jesse. He's my mate. Um, so I did. And I said, and give me a comev because I want a comev to sort this out because I was sick of all the rumors about Jason. And it was interesting The my old senior, the books officer, AO, he wrote a com to the comev and said, you know, oh, I even get emotional thinking about it now. It was so nice of him. He said, once he once made a list of all the people who said Jason was bad. And then later on, when they did a big investigation onto the books lines, well, after the fact, you know, it's, but, um, he said that it just so happened that all the people who said that Jason were bad were the people doing the dodgy cycles. Right. So, you know, that, and I cried when I read that, like the amount of pressure, like this was my community and there's execs and people telling me you're bad, you're off purpose, you're trying to stop sales. I had the COCMO saying Jason's trying to stop sales on a public email. I'm like, I'm not trying to stop sales. I'm trying to deliver books, you know? Um, so I worked in the get. So the comev went well. Um, and that's where they like confirmed I'd written, like I printed out all my reports. It was like a ream of paper. That is uh, such a, a bizarrely rare statement. Well, what, <laughs> the yeah, what I want to say. I have never say, heard anybody say that before. <laughs> the comev went well. But yeah. here's the thing. If you look closely at the reference on the comev, it's, or if you're familiar with it, which I know you are, yeah. it's designed to get the statistics up, right? Yeah, it's supposed to. It's just, the comment isn't <laughs> actually about you. It's a third, it's a group thing. Now, I was now actively producing in the galley. I was doing a good job and they had found someone else to do the books and they kind of didn't want me to do on the books lines anymore because I was giving them so much grief. So everyone was actually happy with the situation. Right. So the comment went well because it was already resolved and it, it helped to just 
push aside for me this idea that was floating around the A and the C that Jason was this renegade crazy guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it said, like, I got charged with the crime of insubordination and rudeness and that sort of stuff. And they said, you know, we, and it was a it was a misdemeanor and they upgraded it to a crime. And like, we're going to charge Jason with the crime of insubordination or whatever that was. They upgraded it because it was so serious because at that point I was just, you know, like doing whatever I wanted. Um, but the comment tried to remove me from post and the senior on R, who was actually a friend of mine at the time, he, he mitigated the comment and said, no, he's not being removed from post. He's actually a hard worker. He's producing, he's upstat, he's being transferred. So I avoided the demotion situation. It was like, no, no, he's, he's transferred of, of his own accord. So yeah, the, the comment went fine. Um, and then I started doing really well in the galley and, um, I actually got the, um, there's a there's a, a LRH directive on on mess presidents. So you have a mess hall, oh, yeah. and everyone sits at a table, and then yeah. you have a president for each table that represents the complaints or the uh, the desires of the table. And you're supposed to have a mess presidents meeting once a week or once a fortnight, and then right. everyone gets those people instead of individuals coming to the cook saying, "Oh, I don't like this." It's it's like you get a more congealed situation. So Jesse and I set that up. And it started going really well. And we did the we did the menu planning with the mess presidents. And they're like, oh, we want this. I'm like, okay. So then we put it in the financial grid. You know, okay, we'll get some more baked beans. No worries. All right. Now we're 200 dollars over. What do you want to take out? And we went through that exercise with them for a couple of weeks. And they were like, oh, and the complaints stopped. They got it. They were like, then they were telling their crews um what was going on. And everything went really well. But except for the CMO and the senior HCO, which is for people not listening, the two most uh, senior tables, if you will, refused to send mess presidents to the meeting because they were too busy. So they kept complaining and the stats were up and I just got to a point where I turned around and I said, I sent an email to this, you know, I know who's my friend at the time. And I said, I'm out, I'm done. And he said, why now? I said, well, this happened last time where the crew were actually really happy with me because I'm getting their books out, but the execs don't like me because I'm calling out their bullshit. So now when the execs are coming to me for their like random midday meal, I'm like, no, we spoke about this with the mess presidents and we agreed that if we save money on that, then everyone can eat good at the mealtime. We agreed that if we put bacon out, that means we have to cut down on eggs, which means whatever eggs and bacon are out, that's the meal. So if you don't like it, you have to then eat the the yogurt or whatever. Like we would go through these talks, but they wouldn't get that. And they're all starting to harass me again. And I remember having an out with the supercargo CMO going, I don't know, I just don't know what the fuck you want from me. Like, you know, I'm 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 ticking all the boxes. You just want special treatment. Mm-hmm. And I I said, I said, no, I'm I'm out. So I had a wife at the time, um, and she was younger than me, and she had already expressed a desire to leave. So I think also knowing that she <laughs> wanted to leave made it easy for me. I'm like, well, she wants to leave. I'm I don't want to go through this experience again. So we left. So again, we went to Adelaide. Um, and we uh, lived with my nan for a while and then started working. And then Adelaide is in the middle of Australia and it's a bit of a small city and we didn't really know anyone there. I have a very good friend in Adelaide, but apart from that, we didn't really know anyone. Um, so we moved to Perth, which is where I'm speaking to you from now. Um, and, uh, Perth is the most isolated city on earth. So I've managed to get even more isolated than Sydney. Um, it's, it's a long way away from, from any other major city. Um, and then in Perth had a kind of a similar, uh, a similar experience of like, not really sure I'd lost face in organization, but I still believe in Scientology and I'd still kick around to a few courses here and there. And there was little hiccups here and there, but nothing really major happened. 
and then the Golden Age of Tech 2 came out in, was that 2012 or 2013? No, that was uh, 13. 13? Uh, 13? Maybe 14? 14. 14, I think, 14? is when it was released. Okay. Yeah, because 2013, because so, 13 is when I got out. Okay. And Golden Age of Tech came out the following year. Golden Age of Tech there 2. You go. So, yeah. Yes, 2. So that came out, and I in Perth, took a similar approach to the basics. When the basics came out, I said, okay, I wasn't able to do these courses before because I had tried to do a student hat and various things. Uh, let's start again. So I did the student hat and um, yeah, like I, I really liked the student hat. Um, and then I did the Proteas, the new one, and mixed. I have mixed reviews on the Proteas. It's interesting that the Proteas reference the TRs remodernized or modernized. It's it's it says you're only supposed to do it as per the PL policy letter, but or the HOB uh, mm-hmm. technical bulletin. Uh, but but then the check sheet says you've got to do the confronting for two hours, but it doesn't say that in the reference. And that's a really interesting something that I disagree with. And I remember speaking to my wife about this recently, like, you know, with TRs, these training routines, these communication drills Scientologists do, like the first 10 or 20 minutes of them, I always really enjoyed. But then beyond that, it sort of becomes something else, in yeah, my opinion. exactly. So so I had good, I don't know, we can probably break that down too, but I had, I had okay, like I, I really enjoyed Proteas. But something happened on Proteas where I became a nice guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I became a nice guy and, you know, I lived my whole life kind of hostile to a lot of people and just like, nah, F off. And I became a nice guy. Like I was in com in, in Scientology speak. Um, and then I started and, and I was, then I had the upper indox, upper indoctrination, funny choice of word. I know we could probably explore that a bit, but your upper communication drills. And then um, I also had the PSSP course paid for now that's the potential trouble source slash suppressive person course it's probably the pinnacle scientology course on suppression and theory of evil and that sort of thing that's right um and i always thought that the pdssp materials were going to be my like you know that's going to really sort out what happened when i was on on crew and all this stuff and that's going to really sort it out so i started the pdssp course the first thing you do is you read, uh, you read a couple of policies, but then you you study science of survival in, in full, which is his 1951 book where he goes over the tone scale in full. Yeah. Um, and things started to unravel in life. Um, I was a nice guy, but it increasingly became that I was a nice guy towards Scientologists. I started to spot people at work. I was on $80,000 a year. Now, that's for someone who didn't have a high school education. Good. I was a warehouse supervisor. Like I was doing really well. And I started to, you know, my boss was an SP all of a sudden expressive person, mm. you know, and even, even my now wife and fiance at the time, she's, she was downtown and I had to break it off with her. You know, it was just like life just started collapsing mm. with the, with what I thought was the PDSSP materials. And I remember I had Science of Survival on audiobook and I would listen to it in the car every day to work. I had a convertible car, like I, a Mazda MX-5, brand new one, as you guys call it a Miata, I think. I had a great life uh, and I have a great life now, but I had a different life back then. Uh, and, you know, my theory was that when things weren't going right, more Harvard, more PDSSP, that you're not doing it right. That's why it's, you need more and more and more and more. Mm. So like I, I was listening to Science of Survival 
like some of those chapters on the different columns where there goes over different characteristics of the turn scale, like I knew them down cold and I was really narcissistic about the way I would use it. I would just like, someone would say something like that's downtone. I wouldn't say it to them, but in my mind, I'm like, you know, I've spotted yeah. this person on the tone scale. And I became unable to really survive outside of Scientology. I felt looking back. No, I, um, I, I mm. have to comment on this. If you will let me for yeah, a moment yeah. here, because what you're talking about is it, it, it's very interesting because there's a lot of things to say about this, but it's a, it's, it's a very, very common phenomenon. And it's the point where people are learning about this material. And sometimes it happens earlier for you. It happened after many years in this, but there's this point where they learn this knowledge and it, and, and this is this whole sacred science doctrine over person thing that we talk about with Lifton's thought reform techniques, uh, you know, where, where, how, it, how it's analyzed, where you have knowledge that separates you from the rest of humanity in a way. It, it, and it raises you on a dais in your mind where you feel, and you haven't used the word superior, but your words have sort of expressed this separation and that's downtown, that, like this judgment that comes in. Judgment, yeah. And it becomes this sort of us versus them thing all on its own it's it's even separate from the culture of scientology just the knowledge alone gives you this feeling of 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 either ego or superiority or or you know faux knowledge that separates you makes you less compassionate because you're more judgmental and i experienced that as a teenager learning this material uh, in my in my coursework, I've talked with many, many, many Scientologists, you know, ex-Scientologists who, in their story, this kind of thing comes up. And it's, and it's noteworthy because it's almost an inherent step that you experience in this, in this thing. And I'm not going to say it's only a Scientology thing by any stretch. I think it's, yeah. I think it's more <clears throat> of a human thing. But the materials encourage it because of the way yeah. Hubbard writes and the way, it, he, the way he positions Scientologists as always senior and high tone, low tone is one of the, this is the second book of Scientology we're talking about here. And it's 51. Yeah, yeah it's 1951, early 51. And this is, this is crucial material to understanding the emotional investment that people make in Scientology because they're learning about Hubbard's brand of emotions and using that information to separate and ascend above other people as though they have this sacred lore that that may, that justifies or rationalizes that way of thinking about other people and i and i just had to comment on that because you said all that very organically and i went that's it that there there it is right there you know one of those points where you don't have to have somebody standing over you yelling and screaming and telling you what to think the materials produce that all on their own. It's, uh, yeah, well said. It's, it's, uh, the tone scale is something that I still have a preoccupation with. I think it's a fascinating way of viewing life because I've studied some other metaph metaphysical systems at, at uni and outside of uni. Sure. And the, I the idea of having a hierarchical scale of awareness is, is I think fairly unique to Scientology. I mean, you could argue that it's it's not because there are other Gnostic systems and so on. But in terms of a modern system that, you know, these other Gnostic systems tend to be sort of like 
you know, hidden away in Freemasonry or whatever, you know, right. like it's, 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 right. it's a, a mainstream. Well, I don't know if Scientology is mainstream. I don't know what I'm saying here, but it's, it, it's, a, it's still something that fascinates me. But well, if, one I, thing might, that, if mm, I might contribute okay. to what you just said there for yeah. a second, mm. because you talked about a hierarchical system of awareness, and you're absolutely right. That's how Hubbard positions or creates this tone scale. But he yeah. uses and and gradations, and you know, sort of ju- sort of grades out with numbers mm. um, a value system of our emotional experiences. So yes. grief is here, and. Mm. Anger is here, and it's higher than grief. Therefore, when you're angry, no matter what you're angry about or who you're angry with, you're in a higher position of awareness and emotion than if you are grief-stricken. Although I will push back on that because he he does say very clearly in Science of Survival that if you're going to a funeral you know, would be an incorrect emotion to show happiness, for example. So there is there is a lot of allowance in science of survival. I know sociologically, I'm not experienced in the church. I remember watching Leah Remini's show with that terrible story of that girl whose partner had hung himself and people in the seal could just sort of turn their back on her grief. Yeah. And I can fully imagine how Scientologists would do that. But this is the fascinating thing for, for me is mm-hmm. to what degree is that actually Hubbard's way of thinking? It's it's probably not as black and white as that, but what? But I do I get what you're saying, Chris. I, well, I, my, like, my point is really experience... the very the very structure of judging emotional experiences, yeah. assigning numbers to them, and telling you you're moving up or down a scale yeah. is itself a way of categorizing emotional experiences and grading their value. And therefore, judging your emotional experiences. And you're absolutely right that appropriateness is in the context of that. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that this is what drives the engine of Scientologists always smiling. And always having to be uptone and be in games and be this high-toned person. Because if you're not, you're in the negative emotional band. You're experiencing miss emotion that's it's right on the scale and 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 that's not right there's a judgment factor there that creates a stigma with these negative emotions that is that actually devalues their value and experience yeah and and that's my problem with that you know yeah and, and we can talk about like i definitely have some experience with that when i came out you talk about like having to look extrovert and realizing it took me a long time to realize the how much that was messing me up but yeah, um yeah. but but i i, well, I, I well, digress i didn't want to no no it's okay it's there. okay just... well what what no no i'm sure we could have it that's probably word clearing from my linguistics perspective and tone scale from philosophy perspective what what fascinates me about the tone scale is now putting hubbard aside just mm-hmm. the concept of a hierarchical metaphysic does it entail judging or looking down on things which are deemed lower and i don't think it does because if you think about I think it was Pythagoreanism, for example, believed in reincarnation. And someone like said, hey, stop kicking my that dog because I can hear my friend's voice in it. Like that he believed his friend had reincarnated a dog at a lower level, um, but doesn't mean you mistreat them. And I think that's in, uh, I'm going to show you how much I don't recall about this, but Buddhism or Hinduism where you, you sure. go to lower levels. It doesn't, and and therefore, like some some Buddhist monks, I think it is like they don't harm cockroaches and things like that because they think, they believe that, there's life and it hasn't, I have a very good friend who 
will carefully usher a mosquito out of a car, her car. Oh, she's sure. into that sort of Eastern philosophy. So, well, I have higher... to I have to push back a little bit on your assertion there, only because Hubbard is crystal clear in the book Science of Survival yes, yes. that one yes. one, for example, on the tone scale is a class of a classification of people who should literally be done away with. Yes. So, so, so yeah, that was my next sentence. So yeah, that's why okay. I started with right. putting Hubbard aside. So yeah. when I say I'm interested in Scientology, I'm really just interested in the ideas almost separate from Scientology and separate from Hubbard. And this is why if someone says, like, I have no, I don't have no stick in the game about what people think about Hubbard. I don't care. Same with the Church of Scientology. I don't care. And I don't care if, yeah, I'm going to commit a high crime. I don't care if you've got all the Scientology books and called it something else, putting it under another name. It doesn't bother me because I'm interested in human ideas. So for me, what's fascinating about the turn scale is just that I've not heard people really talk about it and analyze it. But in doing that analysis, I have no problem with, taking a 10 dot points and going, well, number seven sucks. Let's take that point out. So I can, in my mind, I can strip out some of Hubbard's ideas and yes, you, you're, and for your audience, and I, sh I really do support you in that, Chris, that Hubbard does explicitly talk about um, corralling one ones, people who are covertly hostile into pens. Yep. He also refers to blowing up lepers on a boat. Yep. Uh, and it's, he's not, he's not, it'd have been interesting you know, like a close reading. I've learned to this at uni, you know, you closely read text and so it'd be very interesting to sort of a close reading. Would it reveal that he is to what degree is he just saying you could do that, but we shouldn't, or is he actually saying, Hey guys, you should do that like that, that, and, and, and also sociologically, it kind of doesn't matter because people have the same debate about Hitler. There's no direct document where Hitler signed about um, doing the, the concentration camps. There's no direct, you can look this up on Wikipedia if you want. There's no direct, like he never did a speech and said, gas them you know like that there's no there's no uh called red-handed but it's like you know obviously that that went down like come on you well know, exactly it's like you can't so what we're gonna assert now that hitler did wasn't okay with all that i mean you know come on right? his underlings did it he didn't know it wasn't his fault yeah, so it gets on. ridiculous so <laughs> yeah. so so what I'm saying, again, like, I, and I want to be really careful because I know people who have been in Scientology, some of the things I'm going to say, they're like, how fucking dare you say that, Jason? I had this experience. Yes, yes, you did. And I had those experiences too. I'm not, that's not my, I'm not an expert yet, but that's not the field of expertise I'm trying to get into. I'm not, like you said, we're coming at this from different angles. Yeah. I'm coming at it from a philosophy linguistics perspective and it doesn't, it doesn't concern me I'm able to take parts out. I'm allowed to do that now because I'm not a Scientologist. So I can take bits and do what, what I want with them. As far as sure. I'm concerned, they're just text. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. yeah and, yeah. Um, no, to to fair, really, fair know, enough. Yeah. I just, I have to, you know, within my knowledge of that text, I have to, I think with the entirety of it and Hubbard's intentions with that as in, as interpreted by his actions and his words, and I look at, you know, this is the basis, for example, also of their entire shtick, hating on anyone in the LGBTQ community uh, is yeah. right out of those well, same materials. And so, well, you, you know, you know, there's a homosexual who works, who's on staff in Perth Org right now. Oh, sure. Is he OT? Uh, I don't believe so. Good point. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's, it's never going to make it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And, and to be fair, you know, I always remember Scientologists sort of looking a bit of scans at him yeah. including myself. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. you know, I get, I get that. And, and, and I think to your point, that's what I was sort of saying 
to getting on with my story, that's what happened to me is I started treating people like this. So whether I can now pick out the good parts of science and survival or not was irrelevant at that time because I was not capable of that at the time. I was a dedicated right. Scientologist and Hubbard, everything he said was right. So my wife became downtone. My boss was an SP. Another person at work was downtone and this person and the people, even the staff in Perth Org were no good. Some of them, <laughs> one or two of them, you know, and I, so I had to get back to the AO in Sydney and the Sea Org. And so right. I called up the HAS, the same HAS from the, the, the Hubbard Area Secretary Executive over Ethics and Communication Personnel in the AO advanced org and said, I want to come back. And she's like, yeah, no worries. So, um, now just for back, little bit of backstory, the debt that I had the first time around that they said they were going to take care of, they didn't take care of. And then by the time I came out, it was, it was in default. And I spent the next five years avoiding debt collectors until it went into remission. And then it just, just went away. So there was wow. this, this really, you know, I was in my twenties and I had bad advice from people and so on. Something I, I wouldn't say regret, but I wouldn't do it again now that way. Um, just because I try not to regret things in general. Um, <clears throat> so, okay. So now, okay. If I've been boring everyone so far, now the story is going to get interesting. Here's the, <laughs> okay, here's the me. And there's some background for me, but here's probably where we almost got to start it here. Um, so I called up the has and said, you know, I've done the the Protears and the Up Index and, and PSSP course and I want to come back. She's like, yeah, I'd Never thought you should have left in the first place. She was one of the people who was sort of on board with me originally. Um, and I said, but I want to go clear and class five before I come back. Non-negotiable. She's like, yeah, no worries. Anyway, a couple of weeks later, her and the new senior has, who had been fired down from somewhere in America for the new AO, which opened in Chatswood in Sydney. So it's no longer in the CBD. It's in like a more country area. It's still in the city, but it's more secluded. Um, it's a beautiful building. I'm going to say it. It's a nice building. Um, uh, they, uh, randomly came to Perth a couple of weeks later. Did they? And yeah. And me being stupid, didn't realize that they were there on a recruit mission for myself, my wife, and I later found another person. And I found this out a few months later, but I had no idea. I just thought they just said, oh, they were checking out Perth Org and, you know, just fixing some things up. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, but I want to have chat to you. I was like, yeah, no worries. And, and you had been in the Sea Org. That is hilarious to me. You were so naive about that. Yeah, and that's something that I would stick my hand up. Like just even going back the second time, like this is now the third time. And also other things that like I've told this story and you've probably heard me go like, oh, I wasn't happy with this and that, but I just kept there was like this button, this held down seven, if you will, of like Scientology, right, must do Scientology, must go on the seal. That just was always with me. So even over these cognitive dissonance points, I was still like, I'm going back. And when something like that would happen, they're in Perth and they're saying it's for some other reason. I'm like, oh, cool. It never occurred to me that they're there for a group mission. And they were, the new senior has was the nicest guy in the universe. He reminded me of my dad a bit, which probably didn't help my cause because he's sort of he's thin and tall and he has that, looks like he could be in a... um david lynch movie you know sort of situation um <laughs> which which my dad did as well um <clears throat> so they said look since the new aos opened and gone age of tech comes out we don't go off the old fitness board turns down to turn downs which is your steps you have to do to get back in the seal you know you're fine you've done the pssp course and we're happy to have you back right now and i said no nah, i really want to do my training and stuff. So I, I, third time, come on guys, I don't want to stuff this up. Let's just, I, I was making money and things were going well, but at the same time, my job was falling apart. Just mentally, I wasn't doing so well. 
So things were kind of coming to a head and they said, well, just, just come to Sydney and just check out the new hour. You haven't seen it. Just experience the theta, which is your spiritualness, if you will, in Scientology. That's not a good definition, but we can just stick with that for now. Eh? Sure, sure. Um, so, so I did and I fell in love with AO straight away. It was like, because the old AO was behind a car park. It was a nice AO, but it was behind a car, Broadway car park, Broadway shopping center, like a major car park, you know, it's like, and one guy one time jumped off, not, not a Scientologist, just a random guy, like committed suicide off the back of the building. You know, like, yeah, like nothing to do with Scientology, just, just happened to be where he, this person chose to wow. jump off a building. Terrible. Um, so, you know, the AO, the old AO was, you know, and, and then, then there would be, there would be homeless people sometimes in the car park doors and like, it just wasn't the nicest environment. I had my jaw broken up the top of the street, trying to stop some kids throwing eggs at cars. Cause I was a good Samaritan Scientologist. This happened when I was 18. Um, so the new AO was like a, a gorgeous building. It's nestled in, in the Australian bushland and there was like a Creek running through it. And there's like a bushwalking track and there's birds and there's lizards. And I was like, oh, this, cause I was in the scouts when I was younger. So, you know, I loved it. And there was a lot of new staff there and all the old execs weren't execs anymore, which I was like, yeah, good. That, that, they sorted that out finally, you know? Um, so, so I basically, my wife and I, and she was my fiance at the time. So we had broken off, but we were still friends. And then we, we so Anne and I, our relationship, contrary to some popular opinion, we're just really good friends. So anytime we've tried to break up, we end up talking to each other again. <laughs> And then we just end up, it's just like, you can't, can't avoid it. So, um, so we came, so we were in the AO. So we're flying from America equivalent. We've flown from LA to New York and back because right. Perth is LA and Sydney is New York. That's about That's the right. same distance too. Yep. So we, we came back to LA, back to Perth. And, um, and I, something in me just, you know, anyway, so, okay, I'm going to tell you, this is probably the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life, something I still regret today, and thanks to COVID, haven't been able to sort it out just yet and, and being on uni wages, if you will. Um, so we had had a wedding booked, and I had called that off, but we still had the honeymoon to Paris booked, and that was booked for two weeks from the time we went to the AO. So we said, we went, we both loved the AO. We said, well, okay, well, we'll go back to Perth, we'll go to Paris, and then we're going to drive our car to Sydney, move to Sydney, and continue our plans in Sydney, join the silk. I love the AO so much. My life was, you know, everyone was an SP or downturn outside of the church and the AO. And that was the only good place I wanted to be. And what did it matter? Paris, who cares? I got on a plane, left Anne in Perth and didn't go to Paris <laughs> and went to, went to join the SEAL because those two weeks were so damn important. So when, when, you know, I'm still embarrassed about this. So when, and because of COVID, we haven't been able to to go back because I said to her, as soon as I mean I know we can now but no one uni and we will but I have this debt I owe to Anne I've got to take her to Paris at some point it's a really good time uh, we are married we're married now um, I'm, I'm so, amazed that she came back to you after that <laughs> wow man you must really you guys must have an amazing relationship because damn dude I get it that's hard that's yeah wow yeah, it's not very good. Yeah. Um, okay. Yes. All right. So, well, it's what it is. So, yeah, boy, still. So, uh, so I left without her mm -hmm. and went to the AO to route onto the survivor rundown, which is your objective processing, which is your um, supposedly non subjective auditing. You're looking around doing things, but I think it's a subjective as well. But anyhow, um, so we went to the AO and, and I know there's another can of worms we can open up there. Um, we went to that 
uh, so I was in the AO and after like a week and came to, cause she was going to come anyway. And we were sort of our relationship status was a bit ambiguous at the time. And I was just all gung ho to join in the silk. Now, how to tell this part of the story. I was on the survival rundown and things were going rough. Now in my auditing history, I would always do pretty good when and this gets back to when I was getting those intensive, when I paid $30,000 when I was 19 years old, I was in the morning slot. I would get like two hours of auditing in the morning and then the rest of the day, I didn't have to do anything, maybe do a bit of work. So it was kind of like an also like a nice lifestyle way of doing auditing. So it's like you do a bit, you feel great, you come out, you know, you go to lunch, you know, it's a nice chill day. I'm walking around, this was in Sydney, you know, beautiful Darling Harbour, Centrepoint Tower, uh, uh, Harbour Bridge, Opera House, you know. Um, Contrast that to the AO, where at the time there was this massive push on SR survival running hours, like how many hours of auditing are being done. And we were just being thrown in again continuously to the point where I said one time that I had a major win on something, a successful thing that changed in my life. And they're like, oh, that's great. Yeah, okay, go back in session. And, you know, like just everything I know about auditing is like, no, that guy, me, should have just been like, all right, go walk around for the rest of the day and just enjoy your, your win. But That's that right. just wasn't allowed. It was like, go, go, go. Things started to go really pear-shaped. Um, I was on the floor just rolling around. Now, other people are doing this in the effort. This is a course room. So this auditing experience is shared. You've got a sociological dynamics. There's people like jittering and people are doing what they're doing in Scientology and we can that's a whole you know honestly I don't know too much about that you probably know more about that because your field is psychology fair yeah. enough I don't I'm philosophy I don't, I don't know that stuff but whatever yeah. was happening was I know a little bit of the sociological side of it but that's all yeah now at the same time our money was running out because we had now shortcutted a lot of our steps to do this and they're like no you'll be able to come back straight away and we were in, and then I, and we still had debt from this round of Gornadia Tech stuff. So now we had the same debt situation. And they're like, oh, we're going to handle your debt again. And I was like, no, you didn't last time. I said, I'm I'm happy to route onto the EPF this time, but I will not graduate without the debts being paid. If you, and they're like, oh yeah, we've got some guy who's trying to do amends. He's not qualified, but he's got, you know, he inherited $10 million and, you know, $30,000. I think it was again $30,000 for some reason. Um, I hadn't managed to get it down to like 17 or something. It's irrelevant. And so I'm stuck now on the EPF. And then Anne and I, our relationships in ambiguous station, there was some twin swapping and it was getting very messy. And it got to the point where I said, and the money was out. And I said, look, we've got to go back to Perth because I know we tried this. Now, I'm still a nice guy. Okay. Apart from when I'm in session, I'm a nice guy. Because I've done my, uh, my proteas course and I'm amongst people who aren't suppressive as far as I'm concerned. So I'm a nice guy. So I'm speaking to people very politely and like never got any reports that one person wrote a report, the EPFIC, the person in charge of running the estate project force, the, the basic training that I was found myself again on was she wrote a report on the relationships that are with Anne and I, because we were sort of in this relationship, but she wasn't actually on the EPF and it was, and that was fine. And she even showed it to me. It's like, I'm going to send this report. Are you okay with this? Like she was like one of those situations. Like, I just think it needs to be, that was the only report I ever had against me. Like I was a nice guy. I was doing really well and too nice, too nice. I, I you know, you kind of pendulum swing, like the bit of, a bit of sometimes pushback is probably a good thing. And I just wouldn't push back. So I was going along with all these things and eventually, um, the money ran out and I said, well, we've got to go back to Perth. This isn't working. And the has took us into our office, opened a drawer, a wad 
of cash in an envelope and said, here's $4,000. There was way more in the envelope. So she, now she's been like removed from post since, and I, it must be, cause I did some reports on this afterwards. It must be like, she, she was doing some sort of financial side gig where she was like getting people's and men's money for various situations and banking it in her own office and then giving it to people like me to like get recruited into the seal, just really weird stuff that I look back on and go, what the hell are you doing, Jason? Why would you even get involved with this nonsense? Um, I wish that I could say that's the only time I've ever heard of anything like that. There you go. Yeah. So, so, um, and there's a lot more to this story, but we would just spend all year and I'll, I still have a little bit of trouble telling a story. This is five years ago. And this is like 2017. We are now. Um, so it got so bad that I was on um, opening procedure by duplication, also known as book and bottle, which is where you walk in between a book and bottle and you do various objective commands, uh, pick it up. How heavy is it? What is this color? Uh, what is this color? What is this weight? What's this temperature? One. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's funny how you can just bring it back still, right? And then you walk to the other one. That's and right. I, it's one I of the started... most torturous things you can do in Scientology because they want you to do it for hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> well, uh, there you go. So, yeah. so I, I started becoming quiet. All these aggressions started coming out of me. Mm. And when I would pick up the book, I started to like just really twist it and grab it to the point where the end of the session, the book was kind of in tatters. And I went to the soup after and said, I'm really sorry about that. I'll, I'll pay. I'll give you another book. He said, oh, don't worry about it. We've literally got a closet full of these old books for this reason. I said, oh, okay, no worries. Later in a session, I said, I feel like smashing the bottle. Mm-hmm. And so the auditor called the supervisor, and there was a bit of like unsureness. And then I was telling the has about this and she's like, cause the auditing, so we had expressed wanting to go at this stage and the auditing wasn't going very well. Anyway, the has said, you, if you need to smash the bottle, smash the bottle, mm-hmm. which Someone's pointed out to me since then it's not a standard auditing command. You know, <laughs> like you know, well, it's like yeah, it's it's a it's the, the just to kind of put this in perspective for everybody who's listening mm-hmm. to this thing, right? Like theoretically, theoretically, in an auditing session, a preclear can't do anything wrong. A, a preclear That's is right. going to do what a preclear is going to do. The auditor is held fully responsible for what occurs in the auditing session. And the, and the point of the auditing is you have a process which is going to turn on reactions. Mm-hmm. And only by carrying on with the process, and th- th- this is all kind of bullshit. This is not how psychology works, but this is how Scientology works. You I'll carry let that go on, through the caper. Yeah, you carry on with the process, no matter how long it takes. And if it takes days you know, you, you're going to break it up into sessions, but you're going to get through the process no matter what it takes. And whatever the preclear does in the session is whatever the preclear does in the session. If the preclear wants to jump up on the table and start, you know, acting like a monkey or something, well, that's going to happen. And, you, you know, you sit him back down on the chair and you get him through the process. And that's kind of the spirit of the thing. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I think that's where the has is coming from when she goes, well, hell, you want to break the bottle, break the bottle. Now, obviously, you keep doing that. You're going to mean to bring in more bottles because you can't do the process without a <laughs> bottle. So, well, you know, it's it's, some, it's whatever, you know what I mean? But it's this tricky, is, right? There's, there's a difference between I think you're in the session and something happens spontaneously and someone preordaining outside the session to say, yeah. yes, you can do that. There's right. a little bit of a difference. Yeah. Um, and I only sort of got this afterwards. It was actually a uh, the point, person who pointed it out was actually my 
FSM, which is your person who sort of uh, helps you get into the org. And she was, she, this person's uh, a lot of acronyms here, OTA, class eight, three L's, superpower, cause resurgence. You might not even know the person we can talk about. I won't mention a name, but off air maybe. Sure. Um, and she was the one who mentioned this. She's like, that's not how you do auditing. And, and, and I, I respect that. I think I get that. Um, but my position at the time was, well, and I, this is after the fact I found this out. at the time I'm like, well, my understanding of auditing is I'm putting myself in the trust of these people, right? Like mm. as a PC, if I'm running the session, then I'm not a PC, a preclear, the person getting the therapy. Like mm-hmm. I need, so it was complicated and things kept going downhill and it got to the point where one night I just sat, I remember sitting in the course room and just, I went mute and just, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I, I don't know how to get out of this situation. They're trying to get in session. I'm exhausted. I had sent comms to like the CS saying like, I'm um, sitting at exams very long. And then the needle's floating after like two minutes. Is that standard? I'm looking through the SRD correction lists, self-listing. Like I'm really trying to find like what the more I was doing it, the worse it was getting. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was not healthy. And, um, I don't want to say that's everyone's experience, but it certainly was in this case for me, mm-hmm. whatever your experience is, is your experience. Uh, so I'm sitting there mute and the supervisor came over to me. His name was Ben. And I, I thought the world of this guy, he was like my guru. He was like the technical guy who I looked up to, who just had all the answers and he was well-trained and he would hit down his L's. So his exterior, you know, like he was amazing. And, he said, look, Jason, you're going to go in session no matter what tonight. We will get you in, you know, like kind of tone 40. Um, so you may as well just go in. And I'm like, <sighs> so they start the session. And I went in session. I got in session. I started to feel a bit better. I came out of something and then I collapsed again. And I started ranting and raving. Now it's after 10 o'clock. All the people have gone home. The supervisor's taken over the session. I smash all four bottles. Now, the first time when I did smash a bottle, nothing happened. I had to see the ethics officer about something disrelated. And I said, are you sure this isn't about the, the bottle thing? And she's like, no, nope, that's fine. Yep. All fine. No worries. We, we've people mentioned that that's totally fine to do. I was like, oh, okay. So I now smash. Now this is after everyone's left. So it's just me and two supervisors. It's 11 o'clock at night. It might be one o'clock in the morning. I don't really remember, but it was well after 10 PM. So no one's in the org, no one in the AO, except for the security, I guess, who stay back and, um, you know, they have a 24 seven job there and, um, and the two supervisors. So I'm a little bit more unhinged because there's no sociological pressure to sort of keep face, you know, it's like, so now I'm rolling on the ground, I've smashed all four bottles and they say, and I'm, and I'm doing things like sort of shoving them a bit and saying, I'm going to leave. I never leave the course room, never, but I'm walking around the room pretending like, Hey, I'm like, I'm going through whatever I'm going through. And they say, you know what, Jason? We just we just want to we're we're just going to get three flat, which is which is a Scientology thing, which is where you basically do three commands. In a, uh, I feel like there's a lot more to this, but just for this particular conversation, you do three in a row, and the same is a flat point. Is an okay to end off? So as Chris said, you can do the session again later and keep going towards the end phenomena. Um, and I'm like, yeah, just do that. But on the inside, I'm like, don't don't end the session, please. I'm not in a good way right now on the inside. But on the outside, I'm like, I'm like ah. All this stuff's going on, and um, so they get a like a, a, a fake bottle, uh, just a plastic bottle, and 
And I say, yeah, I can fake it. I can fake it. And I, I literally go through there saying, yeah, I'm faking it. And they, they end the session on that. Um, and I'm now feeling worse because worse. I feel terrible. They take me to an exam room the next next door where one of the supervisors gives me the exam, which is on the e-meter. And I'm sitting there just staring off into the corner of the room, seething. And he calls a floating needle. And I say, that's bullshit. And then I then I walk and I walk out and then they call down the corridor. They say, see you tomorrow. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I remember sitting up. I went outside the AO, our birthing where we were staying with some shared Scientologists was with, yeah, we were some shared Scientologists. Still hard for me, unfortunately. <clears throat> it was with some shared Scientologists just around the corner. And uh, I remember just sitting outside, just, just confused, just... I didn't know what was going on. And I'd been there before in Scientology, but this was really someone else. There's the session stuff going on and then I've smashed them. I'm feeling terrible. So then in the morning, I say to Anne, I said, look, we have to go. We had already done like two or three times of trying to book flights and they would handle us to stay and love vomit. And I said, no, like this isn't working. I'm now like breaking bottles. Like this is bad. Like we need to go and we'll go to Perth. We'll make some money. And then we'll just do our original plan. We'll come straight back to Sydney. We'll finish the survival. Like I'm completely on board. Not a doubt in my mind that I'm not a Scientologist. Like I'm a Scientologist. I'm dedicated. I want to go back and seal. Like everything's fine. It's just, this isn't working, this approach. We've made a mistake by trying to skip too many steps. We should have tried to do some more training and processing before we come back to seal. So in the morning, and calls them up and says, look, he's he's set. Like he's he's had enough. He's set. We're going back to Perth and then we'll we'll come back. And they said, okay, that's fine. We'll just send Ben and the ethics officer um, to you and we'll just come in the org and we'll just route out. Fine. I was like, oh, okay, fine. Okay, so I'm walking back in the org. I'm feeling like I'm so embarrassed. But I'm like, okay, we'll just keep the peace. So here's where the story gets interesting, mm -hmm. if it's not very interesting. So they take me to an ethics room. Now, ethics rooms are pretty small and I feel like they close your space in a bit. Mm -hmm. Um I don't necessarily mean that they're designed like that. Maybe just pragmatically they're small because that's all they need to be. But if I was ever going to do this sort of thing again, I'd do it in a park where there's a bit of space. So there's this small ethics room and the ethics officer sits me down and she gives me a knowledge report from Ben. Now, Ben was the guy I really looked up to. Now, I'm feeling like shit already. And I'm probably, you might understand this better than me, psychologically but i'm probably in a position psychologically at this stage where i'm kind of vulnerable or receptible to pretty much anything anyone says about me mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not in a good way <clears throat> mm -hmm. a, so, a, a fairly natural product of exactly what they're doing to you mm, by the way fair enough yeah, yeah fair enough so i um i get this knowledge i've got it up here and i'm going to read just the first paragraph and the last two paragraphs. Sure. It's a three-page report. Yeah. So this is 1st of December, 2017. Now, it's a knowledge report, and which is a... Uh, look, I'm going to be pejorative. I'm going to say it's a ratting report. It's something you, you used to, you know, to, to grasp on your... If you're going to be British about it, to grasp on your friends. But uh, there's a, there is theory of knowledge report, which is a different thing. But just for now, because I am in a bad mood about this, I'm just going to say, just going to use the nasty definition of a knowledge report. <laughs> Um, but we could clarify that later. Um, now, he has infoed the ethics section, Perth Day and Foundations. That's the Perth org. So he knows I'm coming back to Perth and 
He's infoed the organization I'm trying to, he knows I'm going to have to deal with this in. He's also info, infoed the ethics section at Flag in case I could try, try to go to Flag and he's infoed data files. So this copy of this report is going to all the places where I might possibly conceivably go. Mm-hmm. And that's really indicative of what, keep that in mind. So he says, I'm reporting Jason to ethics for being an extremely interpolative particle in the SRD course room. He has manifested all major aspects of HCOB psychosis, and I am labeling him miswithholding that ARC breaks easily per HCOB, the no gain case student. So I read this and I hit mentally. I don't need to finish the sentence. It it was rough for me. And if if I, if I might, if I might, just for the audience's sake here. And I, and I, can I, can I say one thing? Please, please go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, Chris. I just keep in mind, I just done the PDSSP course just before this, which is where you learn about this stuff. So I knew that this report actually said I was a suppressive person. That's what it's actually saying. And I knew that. And I believed it because I believed in all of the stuff that Hubbard said. And then he then goes on and tells a three-page story about how the whole me coming to Sydney and he reframes it in a way that I believed for a long time that I had I had tricked them into wanting me back and I had done all this stuff and I was faking and all this really weird stuff and it fucking messed with me for a long time. But you you go on. It doesn't you, you, you basically yeah. just said it. I mean that was okay. that was it. Is is he he did he threw you under the bus yes for his technical errors like i know from a i was in his position i know exactly the policies and bulletins that he's supposed to be applying to his job and even from the scientology context of the rules and procedures of scientology what he did in writing that report was disgusting yeah. It, it was yeah. so off the rails. What you, what should have happened according to Scientology procedure is you should have been in session long before that for a correction list and a review, yeah. not ethics and we're going to throw you under the bus now because we've determined you're an SP. That's not his job. It's not his function. It has nothing to do with with why he would write, you know, that 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 should be a report about you, like everything about that, even in the Scientology rule set, was completely off the rails. Yeah, and and Just saying, let's yeah, no, I agree, and and as this story continues now, it's going to get worse. Yeah. So he he ends it. I'll just read the last paragraph as well. I am infoing all relevant organizations so that he cannot PR his way online and act as he did when he got here about, in quotes, how changed I am now and how he wants to help. His past ethics record, truthfully and reliably, is indicative of what this individual will do to org delivery lines, cause destruction. This is true, Ben Lawrence. So this is, yeah, now... It gets better. Remember I had said I had only had one report, which was basically a joint report from the EPFSA and EPFIC and I just saying, yeah, like there's this weird situation with Anne and I, and that's not really standard, but it is what it is. So this makes two. You need five reports to do a court of ethics. I was then given three more reports from the supervisors 
all about just random stuff, like really odd, like conversations that had happened that had just been like, hi, and Jason did this, like stuff that they had never thought to report, but all of a sudden they're all dated the same day. Mm-hmm. They're actually a couple of days there because it happened over that night. So they're all dated yeah, the 30th or the 1st of December and 30th of November, 1st of December. And, uh, and the, yeah, they're for really trivial things. So then I'm still in the ethics room. I haven't moved. I'm like, uh, like, you know, and the ethics officer stands up and says, now you're going to get a call of ethics. So then someone walks in who was a friend of mine. Um, he was actually the father of the has uh, and gives me a court of ethics. I've never had a court of ethics in my life. I had requested my own comment, as I said, but I've never had a court of ethics before. And in the court of ethics, it charges me with um, disrupting a course room and, and destroying all property and, you know, the bottles and I just sat there like so confused. Now I'm, it was, I mean, if we view these people as evil intended trying to take someone out mentally, it was fucking beautiful because I'm sitting there in this mess or mass, if you will, if you want to speak in some told you ways. And then I'm getting called of ethics and Stuart says to me, well, court of ethics, you just can go yes or no. I wasn't as familiar with the court of ethics procedures because I never had one. I've never been involved with one. Like, are you guilty, guilty or not guilty? You know, like, did you cause courts of destruction? I'm like, well, I, I did, but it was after ten, and you said I, not you, but you know, these people said I could, but, and and I'm trying at this point, I'm almost trying to do myself in because I believe I'm a suppressive person. Yep. I'm trying to finish myself so i end up just going guilty to all of them yeah i'm guilty then he leaves the ethics officer comes back and says now i'm going to give you your fitness board turned down because i was on the epf so then we walk across the hallway walk into another room where five four or five people are one of whom was a second language english speaker a chinese person who i had just helped on the epf get through epf and she was a young girl and she really respected me so now i'm sitting there in a mess and one of the people now evaluating me is someone who I who I was mentoring myself and who said I was a great guy and whatnot. And, you know, a fitness board turned out it's never pleasant because you're, you're inspecting what's wrong with you, if you will, in, in Scientology terms. So then that happened. Then I walked back, was escorted back to the ethics office room and the findings and recommendations or the whatever comes out after a um, court of ethics were given to me on the spot. So that's yeah. a very fast uh, approval and uh, turnaround. Like they had the, uh, to explain to people, you need someone called the LRH communicator to approve court of ethics. So they would have had that person to hand to stamp. <laughs> like this is like, well, this is like, this is like a lot of bureaucracy that is going very smoothly, very quickly. Yep. Um, so I get the, the recommendation from the court of ethics that say I need to have a sec check, a security check, a confessional, if you will, on the emitter before I can continue anything else in Scientology. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the next thing I need to do is finish that session properly. We were right where, in my Scientology mind, I thought we were right where we should be. And here we are. Now I need a sec check. Then she said, and here's a non-interpolation order. And I said, now a non-interpolation order is if you get one more report against you, you will get declared suppressive and that scared the shit out of me and i said what's this for like what i know the session went bad but what interpolation i've caused and she said well we don't want you going back to perth and nattering up a storm 
And I'm thinking that's inspection before the fact. I haven't done that. And I, and I didn't plan to. I didn't even have a bad idea of the AO at this time. I was like, they're all helping me. It's just the session's gone wrong. Like I had no qualms about coming back to these people. I was going to go back to Perth. Like it was all happy Scientology land still. It was just the session. But what all these reports and findings and courts did was, and, and particularly the way Ben worded his report, was take the isolated incident of the session or sessions and color my entire Scientology being with that. Right. It, it, it pushed it out. Then made me sign a piece of paper saying, I agree with all of this. And I said to her, well, I don't. And she said, well, if you don't sign, uh, you're going to stay here until you do sign and you're going to be making a lot worse for yourself. And I went, I was, and I knew enough about the world to go, ah, now I can sign because it's not a legal signing because you just told me there's no way I can leave without signing it. So I signed it because I'm like, it's bullshit. So, and and I told them that in the very next, a couple of months later, the next email sent to them, I told them that. I said, that's not a sign. Um, so I went back to Perth and uh, I spent about a month on the floor of the room. We were staying with Anne's parents. And I, I just, she, she went back to her old job. She's a cafe chef. And I just was too embarrassed. Her parents were Scientology. So I was too embarrassed to even leave the room. But also I just, I would like try and get up and then I would just be on the floor and I would just fall asleep on the floor, like in weirdly uncomfortable positions. And told me years later, she said, you know, one time she came home and she actually checked my pulse because she thought I was dead because I was so still and just in a weird position. Like I just, something really deep and profound, not in a good way, happened there in the AO. <clears throat> mm-hmm. After a couple months, I eventually reached out and started trying to reach out to people in Perth saying Jason needs help and just no one wanted a bar of it. Um, it's now early 2018. I sent an email to the Has AO, a very long email saying, you know what, I'll, I'll take care of everything. I'll take responsibility for the bottles. I'll pay calls. For, like I was just willing to do everything. I, I said, but just please, I just need to get back in session because as you pointed out, like in Scientology, the motto is the way out is the way through. So for me, I'm like, the only way to resolve this is to go back in session. I'm really glad I didn't, but at the time, that's what I thought. And so I sent this long email petition to the house. I need help. The only thing she replied on was you owe me some money. And I've got the, got the you actually have a copy of it, but we can, I don't particularly want to go over it on, on air, mm-hmm. the exactness of the emails, but I have the email. She's, there's a long email from a person saying implicitly, like, I'm kind of suicidal here. I need your help. Like I've, I've given $50,000 to Scientology in my life. I'm 31. That's pretty good for a 31 year old. I'm, you know, I've spent four years in Seattle. I've done this. I've helped. I helped Perth Org move. Like I'm trying to list all the things and the times I've helped. I need, I need help. And the response back was, you owe me money, the $4,000 she had handed in cash. I was now one of the people that she was extracting money from to give yep. to someone else. Um, and I ended up having to go to Adelaide to see my nan for a couple months. Actually, it wasn't a couple months, it was a few weeks. My nan's in her late 80s. She's got a beautiful garden. She's Croatian. She cooks beautiful food. And I just slept and ate and spent time in the garden with the chickens and the flowers and just really, I needed to reset. And that helped. And I have a very good friend in Adelaide and we started talking. And now we met in Scouts when I was 16 and he's into philosophy too. His degree is in computer science and pure mathematics. So he has a very analytical mind. Not analytical in the Scientology way, by the way, it's analytical as in analysis. Maybe they're the same thing, whatever. Um, Different topic. 
so I was in a mess and I came back to Perth and I I didn't know what to do, but I figured that since the church wouldn't help me at all, I found I recalled back to successful action, if you will, of reading books. I didn't want to read Hubbard at this time. I was pretty pissed. I ended up going to a library. I went to the Perth State Library. And I don't know why. And the first book I got was called Your Life Is Not For You. It was about a Christian missionary who was suicidal as like he was a young guy and he went to Russia and like found his calling in like helping other people and stuff. And I was like, well, that's not for me because <laughs> that's that's kind of what I was just trying to do. But uh, but it was interesting. It's indicative of what what I was going through. And and another, I was conf- I was like, you know, I'm always a bit confused about this greatest good thing. Like, well, which dynamic you do, you know? It's a, and there's a whole discussion we could have about that. And I'm still like digging into this with ethics and utilitarianism and so on. Um, so I got a book called In Defense of Altruism, or something about altruism, and another book called in defense of selfishness. I was like, well, that's two ends of the spectrum. Let's just read these. The one, the in defense of selfishness book was by a guy, I think his name was Paul Swartz. And he was a fellow of the Iron Rand Institute. And I had no idea who Iron Rand was. Um, and he, in his book, just happened to, for a second, digress onto the subject of utilitarianism. And he did a really good takedown in a couple of pages of just why utilitarianism is bunk, and which I do think, by the way, to anyone listening, utilitarianism is bunk. Not anyway, there's a different discussion. There's nuance to that, but so he he listed out what I thought Scientology ethics was, and I read it and I was like, huh, that's Scientology's system of ethics, utilitarian this utilitarianism, the greatest good, and, but Hubbard invented this. <laughs> what, what, what is Hubbard invented this. Uh-huh. And then I started, and that's that was the seed. That was the educational seed. The second seed, the, the organizational or religious seed that sprouted was the thought I had, and I said to Anne one day, I said, when I started to come out, I said, Scientology or the Church of Scientology is trying to put itself in a position where it runs the planet. Now, that might sound hyperbolic, but that's the reality of the situation. And I'm sure you could say the same of Islam and, and Christianity and Judaism. Like, they, these religions would love to be the only religion and in charge, and Scientology is no exception to that. Scientology is very front-footed with that, in fact. Um, and I said to Anne, it just popped into my head, hang on, imagine if the Haz and Ben and these people who had done this to me, imagine if they are in charge of bank accounts and the police and flights. I wouldn't be allowed to get on a flight. They would have frozen my bank accounts. I would probably be in some sort of jail. In fact, now I know about the introspection rundown, probably on introspection rundown. And I probably, I would have definitely Lisa McPherson to turn that into a terrible word to bring it up. But, you know, I was not in a good way Uh, and potentially violent. Like I was just, you know, violent to inanimate objects, but still it's violence. Um, So, I started reading and I kept asking for help. Now I have a good track record. Once I got declared, and as you know, one of our contacts in the middle of our relationship was I put together about 200 pages of the emails I had sent back and forth between me and various members of the church and RTC and the AO and CLO and IJC and trying to ask for help and trying to just say, I thought one of the things I liked about Scientology growing up was that 
it ostensibly says we don't evaluate and invalidate, particularly in session. Now, I know there's some criticisms for that, and I agree with you, but that was my understanding at the time. Sure. And Ben's report was throwing all of that out. And my understanding, apart from Hubbard's complaints about psych- invasive psychiatric surgeries and drugging, his major complaint with psychology was it's those practices of invalidation and evaluation. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, well, if we're doing that, as you have done here, and I've got the report in front of me, then how are we any better? Mm. Please tell me. And... I kept trying to, I think it would, I know we've been talking a while and I think it would take probably too long to go over, but I spent the next two years trying to, one and a half years, trying to resolve this with various members of the church. And at the same time, started reading externally and Scientology as an ideology started to break apart. And I started to watch and listen to anti-Scientology material. I will call it anti-Scientology because I think that it's fair to say that going clear and the aftermath are anti-Scientology materials. Mm-hmm. And I started to watch them to get a different perspective. And like, you know, I remember watching one of Leah's episodes and crying because I've not seen that sort of stuff go down in Australia, but I could see how it could happen. Like I could see that extrapolating the philosophy just a little bit further, turning it up, you're going to end up with those sorts of situations. But I never felt that, and I still to this day haven't heard anyone do a real good rendition. As you were saying, no one's really pulled apart the philosophy, theology side of things. You know, like I heard um, Aaron Smith-Levin on Lex Friedman recently and and Lex brings up, oh, that sounds kind of like Plato. And Aaron goes, oh, no, I don't know that. I was in a cult. I don't know that. Well, first of all, that's not good enough, Aaron. I'd love to speak to you, but, you know, that's just not good enough. Like, it's just, if you're going to speak about its philosophy, theology, look into it because there are lots of, there's lots out there. Um, But, Anyway, that's a different thing. I'd love to dig into that a little bit more another time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, well, oh, and I looked at obviously the church stuff that they put out as well. And it's just so like, you know, the church is perfect and this and this and this. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's just corny. And then I would look at the anti-Scientology stuff and other discourse. I went on all the blogs and looked and just tried to absorb it all. And I was like, I don't feel like anyone's just putting aside the upsets that they went through, like like I've had to do to, to do what I have done and am trying to do, is trying to some degree to go, no, I get that that's my experiences and whatnot, but let's just look at the, the philosophy side. So I started to write a book and that was my act of healing. And I do share that with Aaron. I haven't seen psychologists recently. Aaron said like his healing is doing this and I feel like that's kind of been the, the case for me too. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Aaron, if you're listening. I, I don't mean to to like, I think he's a great guy. Like, I don't mean to like come down hard, but I guess I'm probably going to try and carve out my territory at the same time and go like, oh, you, you know, that's, that's a different, anyway, maybe we'll stop talking about that. So, um, I, I don't think you're coming down hard at all. You're just sharing your okay. opinions. Yeah. It's not a problem. Okay. So I started writing a book mm-hmm. and I published a book and I reached out to OSA, the office of special affairs and said, I'm, I'm about to release a book. It's not a critical book. It's neutral. It has some criticisms, but it's very even-handed. And I just want to let you know. And they said, oh, and they said, give it to us for for proofreading. And I said, that's a bad idea. I said, I am, at the time, I said, I'm a Scientologist and I believe I have free speech. And if you have it, even if you approve it, you've just 
said I don't have free speech. The act of you reading it is the act of taking away the free speech. That's a bad idea. You don't want to do that. Don't do it. And they just, they're like, yeah, you do have free speech, but you, you know, they tried to like, you know, and it just, and I got to the point, I said, I said, I'll tell you what, there's this bad situation with an AO that I'm sure is probably embroiled in this. The book has nothing to do with that, but you know, maybe it's there. I said, give me another comment. I had a successful comment the first time. So I released the book to no critical acclaim or viewership at all. <laughs> you know, when you publish, self-publish, people warn me too, because I, I, um, I window clean in my spare time for a bit of cash while I'm at uni and I have people who are writers and professors and I sort of talked about stuff and, and I was warned, they're like, you know, when you write a book, you know, there's, it's not like everyone's like, ah, oh, there's so many books out there, but it was, I'm immensely proud of the book at the, at the time. I was just, it was an act of self-help in a way. Mm-hmm. So I, I was really happy with that. So I, um, I released the book and I asked for the Comev. We had just had our first uh, born, our son, who's now three. So this is now late 2019. The book was released December 2019. And um, they, I went to the Comev in Sydney and I explained the situation. I had like pages and pages of like data from Amazon and YouTube. I'm like, look, these are the videos that people go to when they search Scientology. It's not the church. That's not how the world works anymore. Power is distributed. This hierarchical thing of like, you know, like I, to digress slightly, I remember I was in Adelaide healing with my friend when Scientology TV was released and I was expecting someone to have a blackboard or a whiteboard and go, this is an ARC triangle. And like, Mm -hmm. I was expecting it to be like that. Instead, it was like an 80s infomercial channel. And I was really disappointed. Um, So, and I think that's indicative of the, management and where they come from like we need some they they need some new blood in there i guess anyway that's a different thing um so so i had the comev and they took like a year to get it done kept i think it kept going back and forth so i was explaining that what happened in the ao and explaining why my book and i was defending it with lrh quotes from the student had and the basics saying i am this is not i'm not committing high crimes i had some scientologists read it who will name who will remain unnamed here uh and and there was like one passage in there they're like oh that could be read as that high crime and i ended up just taking it out it was a passage comparing the theta mess theory to bergson's alain vital creative evolution 1907 He's a French philosopher who I believe caused one of the first traffic jams in New York. He was that popular. And his uh, theory of creative evolution is very similar to Hubbard's state of mess theory. And I actually tackle it in my book a little bit. If you look at the glossary definition in science of survival, because Hubbard mentions him very briefly, they uh, redact, if you will, the parts of the definition that make it really clear that it's really similar to Bergson's Alain Vital, like it's really similar. Um, but, and that doesn't bother me, by the way. Philosophers do that all the time. They're, they're, they're always pillaging each other's idea. That's how philosophy works. So it's not a denigration of Hubbard. It's just it's just odd that the church feels so, because Hubbard didn't write the new glossary, obviously they're so intent on making sure that, no, Hubbard came up with all of this. Um, so I was in, I tried to resolve with Perth Org and then, yeah. you know, like they would, they, would, they would have these conversations with me. And then I made it really clear at one point, I was like, no, I'm not paying any more money until this is resolved. Like I really disagree with this report from Ben. I'm not cool with it. And then they gave us a tour of the org. This is the new ideal org in Perth. And then we left. And then I found out afterwards that someone had said, oh yeah, Jason was escorted out of the org for being in turbulence. <laughs> so it's like, you know, in, in my view, things just kept closing in and people were just willing to along with the narrative and 
you know, and the seal, I think the seal stuff from the books when I was in the books started to come up again. And it was like, you know, actually he was this really crazy guy in the seal. And like it, that re re narrativizing of how things were just, it was a runaway train. And the only way it was going to resolve is if we gave them more money at this point, that's what it looked like. Because they said in the red interview, like, oh no, just give us this package and we're going to make all that go away. Like it'll be gone within 24 hours. We've got a guy from CMIXU here. He's in agreement. Like it was all hunky-dory. But then as soon as I said no to money, that was the last I ever heard from any of them. So Boy, and, and I, I wonder what that sort of thing could imply about the organization and its culture. You know, I've, and I've heard that you, you say that before and I always go, ah, oh, it's not always like that. But in this case... It is like yeah. that. So I can't, you know, yeah. 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 And I have, uh, I have personally witnessed more of those than I think you could comfortably list on one piece of paper or two or three. I'm telling you, it's yeah, rampant throughout that culture. We'll it's make a real it, pity. If it's you give pity. us money, we'll make it all go away. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a direct story from Flag where the opposite was the case, but that's for another day. Fair enough. Um, but, you know, I get that it probably happens more often than it should uh, to the point where you would question whether, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm not going to defend them. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so the comment took like a year to come back. And when it came back, they said, oh, we'll, we'll get you into Perth Orc and have a look at it. I said, no, send it to me. That's what the reference says. Just send it to me so I can look at it. Because I had a feeling, I was like, eh, it's going to say some odd things and I might want to petition it and I'm still trying to sort things out. No, I had written this book, but I was still at heart a Scientologist, even if I was like just trying to keep the peace or like, you know, I was like, well, why be declared? Like there's no advantage to it necessarily. Um, and I said, no, I I want you to send that. And I said, no, this, this, this continental justice chief said, no, no, you're not going to be keeping the comment. And I'm like, well, if that's the case, you're already treating me like I'm declared as you have been for the last one and a half years. And I'm kind of sick of it. And that conversation just kept going nowhere. And, you know, every couple of months I would like work up the strength again. Like this is this 200 page document I sent you of like, which mm-hmm. probably should stay private, but for listeners, I was really pissed when I got the declare, I made this report. I'm going to make uh, this, this, this compilation. I'm like, everyone's going to know about this. I'm going to get crystal like posted. And like, I was, I was really shitty, but I've sort of moved past that. Um, so uh, after they refused to give me the the findings and recs, I heard from someone who did see it that it didn't address what happened in the AO. It was just about my book. And that really pissed me off because that's why I wanted to comment. So here we have an instance where I'm, and I've made it clear to them, I'm not giving them more money. So stats aren't going to go up on my account. So now we see the comment come out a very different way. Like, in other words, if I was to go back in there, the comment would have worked out well. So we can see that the purpose of the comment is to get the stats back up. So it's not for me, it's for the organization. So, and I know I can defend that when I know you can get the ethics book and there's direct lines where he says that. So Harvard says that. So um, now at uni, so I I started uni in um, COVID because Mm. I was doing window cleaning and who wants their body windows clean when there's disease running around. So I... I thought, yeah, I've always wanted to go to uni now and I've written this book and I'm going to say philosophy. So I started going to uni and I made it, I, I was fine with telling people like, yeah, I've been in Scientology. I'm not a Scientologist anymore, but I've been in Scientology and I want to do a, some academic work on Scientology. I had, I've had three 
maybe in the interest of wrapping up, I won't go into the stories, but I had three separate instances of three separate professors belittle me, often in front of other people, for having been involved in Scientology and for even thinking of doing academic work on Scientology within the philosophy department. Yeah. So there's pressure from people at uni, my new group of people, to not be a Scientologist and to really denounce it, if you will, or to separate myself from it. Some One other person said I was obsessed with it. And I'm like, you know, and I said to someone else, if you didn't want to do a doctorate, don't you have to be obsessed? I'm like, yeah, if you're not obsessed with your doctorate subject, you're not going to get through it. That's for um, sure. You know, so yeah. um, there's a lot of pressure. And also at the time, Scientologists are still through family connections and friends coming and seeing me and bringing it all up again. And it's really pissing me off. And I'm trying to put it behind me. So I, in January... On January 15th, I think it was, 2021 or 2022, last year. Yeah, 2022, last year. I put a denouncement up on my website. I read some of Dianetics again, which I've done in years, and there's a part towards the end of it where he talks about human rights and says, like, it'd be great to have a society where human rights and civil rights, sorry, he actually says, are based around being unaborated. And I really objected to that. And I thought, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm not, I've been treated like crap for years. I'm sick of being bullied, if you will, by people at uni. Not the majority of people. I want to stress that this is not a common thing at uni, but enough people to make me feel shit about it. That I, and even, anyway, yeah, trying to get resolved. I'm not going anywhere there. So there's pressure on both sides. So I denounced the church on my website, um, which is just jasonovatic.com. It's a very small, very simple website. Um, and I, um, put the reason that reason for i said the central thread of scientology is a hierarchical metaphysic that unpersons people now then in october november they then got around to declaring me now the declare again they wouldn't show me the declare but scientology isn't as as secure as they think it is so someone sent me a copy of course which is really stupid of them because if they, you know, all of these steps along the way, if they just followed their own policies and treated me with dignity, I would just probably would have been better about it. But I've decided to let it go. But anyway, to I mean, obviously there's some part of it kicking around me. I wouldn't be speaking. But it's really interesting because it says, this is the declare order. So yeah, 25th October, 2022. It says impartial investigation to Jason's past. I mean, okay, impartial, great. Yeah, whatever. Just say investigation. Um so impartial investigation into Jason's past revealed that during his tenure as a member of the church, Jason failed to apply Scientology ethics technology and would resort to squirrel handlings for his problems. That's so general. I don't even know what they're referring to. He would send N theta communications to staff members and attack those staff members who were dedicated to helping him and others. I'm assuming they're talking again about the book stuff from like 2007, 8, 9. I don't know. Um, but there's some really interesting, uh, it goes on. That, uh, oh, actually, it's only four paragraphs. I'll read it, and then the the, the high crimes. He says, after leaving this organization, Jason continued to squirrel his application of Scientology ethics technology and violated church tenets. As an example, Jason committed adultery with someone and attempted to justify this by holding org, org staff members responsible for his actions. So, remember, I said I had a first wife from the sealed the first time. Sealed marriage is interesting because when you come out into the real world, sometimes they don't work, and that was the case with my first wife. We, we both were just like, this is not working. We tried for three years, but it was like, no. So we got divorced, but the law in Australia is you you are still legally married for a year. Now, I got, there's a complicated story here, but I got with my new wife before the year was up. So technically, I'm committing adultery, but there was no cheating. 
There was no like hiding behind anyone's back. Now there's much more to this story, but there was, I can tell you, this is no cheating or anything like that, but they frame it as like Jason's an adulterer. It's like, okay, come on. You know, it's, and I just don't know what it has to do with anything because I know that people do that in the church and they don't get expelled. For well, it. It's it, just because it, it's, because it, it's a moral, it's, it's an attempted moral strike against you. Yeah. That's, you know. that's what, that's what I sort of got with this. It's a, it's a, a character assassination and it's not right. designed for people out here. It's designed for other Scientologists to that's get them right. to oh, Jason was bad all along. That's but right. what it's funny about it is it says it attempt, I attempted to justify this by holding org staff members responsible for my actions. And that's really funny because I'm like, what did I like say that a staff member like locked me and Anne in a room naked or something like what, <laughs> how do I, how do you, I don't know how you would do that. How would you hold someone else responsible for you starting a relationship? I don't, I don't know when you're still technically married. Uh, anyway, I'd like, okay, cool. Whatever that says. Um, <clears throat> then it says Jason later joined this organization again by giving false information in order to be accepted. So this is Ben's report coming out again. He caused interpolation amongst the staff and damaged all property. He left again, blaming all staff for his condition. Hmm. Um, okay, moving on. But this is this is what really got me. This is the last paragraph before they list the crimes and non crimes. Which oh, are by the way, I got. If I might, just for a second here, because that, that last line is kind of important. He sure. blamed org staff for his condition. Comes circles right back around to when when your feet need to be held to the fire. Whenever the shit hits the fan, you're responsible. It's never the church's fault. They never did anything wrong. It's all on you. And how dare you blame them for things they actually did or didn't do that contributed to the situation, right? Oh, no, 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 no. It's you. You know, what's really interesting about that, Chris, I'm about to defend Scientology here Hmm. over the top of this, which is really interesting. But I'm also going to criticize the theory of it. So the theory of this comes from the advanced procedure and axioms yeah. era, 1951, where he talks about total responsibility, which essentially is that you created the universe or you're part of the universe, therefore you're responsible for everything. Now, I get that. But the interesting thing, just coming across this on a critical thinking philosophical level, if you create something, does that mean you're therefore responsible for every part of it thereafter. For example, arguably, my wife and I created my son and our daughter, but does that mean, or if someone develops a car, does that mean that if someone runs someone over with that car? Like These are deep ethical problems, and Hubbard sort of skirts over that and just says, no, you created it in the first instance, therefore. So what I would attack here is, I get his the- theological reason for saying that, but I think it's a bit of a leap of faith and not as solid as Scientologists might think it is. But it's, it's food for thought, and it's something that I might tackle in the thesis if I decide to focus on something like that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. On the everyday sociological level, that's how it that's how it pans out. That's right. So, so the last paragraph here says, recently Jason, who has never been able to assimilate Scientology, published his own writing with no authorization, allegedly covering the subject of Scientology. Now, this is the most troublesome paragraph, uh, sentence for me. First of all, give me my money back. If you're saying I've never been able to assimilate Scientology, you owe me $50,000. Now, I'm not going to chase that up because I know that's that's a fool's errand and I have no intention of, of doing that. But I considered it, as you know, when I was pissed off. Um, and thank you for your advice there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a re- again, it's like, you know, he's never been able to assimilate Scientology. 
Um, but also more troubling is I published writings without authorization. So they're saying in a church document that's approved by the International Justice Chief that you need authorization to write on Scientology as a Scientologist. That's a mistake. Just just not even put aside ethics book and th theology and all that. Just pragmatically, that's a mistake. In the current landscape that we live with social media, it just doesn't work that way, guys. If oh, sorry, if you're listening on anyone, it doesn't work that way. And they're never going to make any progress like that. It's, you know, it's silly. Anyway, it says these writings contain his own confused interpretation and screw definitions of Scientology technical terminology. They're going to say that, fine. Jason's writings are a pathetic attempt to lead public away from the actual route to spiritual freedom. So they're really doubling down there. So that's my that's my um, declare. And it says, I actually get charged with three sus sus suppressive acts. One is issuing alterers Scientology technical data, uh, which is the longest time event. The other one is public statements against Scientology. And the final one is publicly resigning from the church. Now, the thing about the declare that gets me is... If they were smarter about it, they just would have done the last two just because I did do that. I did denounce on the website. Mm -hmm. and I did publicly resign. And if they just did like a half page declare saying, look, Jason's publicly resigned, therefore he's declared, I would have nothing to come back on and I would be kind of cool with that. I'd be like, yeah, fair enough. Like that's that's where we sit. Like, no, you, you're entitled to do that. Like they, they really, I've heard you say they really specialize in making enemies or maybe it was Mike Rinder who said that. No, I and said I, that. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it's the case. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, just follow your policy to the minimum, and then just light touch it. But, well, it's it's what you yeah. said earlier. I mean, it's it's not the purpose of that document is not to offer any truth. The purpose of that document is to character assassinate you, so no one in the bubble world will listen to anything you ever have to say. Right, which is indicative of that eighties, seventies, sixties mentality, and it's like the world doesn't work that way people are connected via internet and it's like you can't disconnection isn't really feasible these days you know with social what are you supposed to do like unless you want to just really end up in a bubble so the declare came through and then to finish the story i've had space since then so that's now six months ago and recently i actually took down the denouncement on the website including another couple little posts i put that weren't particularly critical in some ways but and the website's really bare now. It's just that there's a book and I did a little art project for uni. I'm like, oh, I'll put that on there. Like, that's kind of cool. Um, and it, you might, it might be odd, like, well, why, why, am I, why am I now? Why take the denouncement down now? It's not going to get me undeclared. Um, and the, the answer is it's I dropped philosophy at, at my university. I still study it, but I won't have it on my paper like i took enough units but it won't be my major linguistics is my major uh and there's actually a technical reason from that from my studying of linguistics undid what the philosophy that the sort of philosophy it's called analytical philosophy which i disagree with because of my linguistics study. so it's not just this but also because of some of the personalities involved i dropped that so i wasn't getting pressured so much to not be a scientologist then the family members and the friends weren't pressuring me to be a scientologist and the people I speak with now, it's all calm and it's it's kind of gone away. One of the people I window clean for, she's a new age psychotherapist. And she said, speak your piece. But but then her advice was let it go because if you don't, it's going to eat you up. And I, I really appreciate the advice. Like I, I probably what we've done, I've been probably the most stressed about it I have in a while because we've had to get into it. But most of the time, I, I really am just looking for the academic angle now. I'm not, this isn't me anymore. And if we speak again, which I'd love to, I, I I hope not to speak in Scientologies. I speak, I hope, hope to just speak about the intricacies of its philosophy and and, and so on. So 
the category of, and this is kind of where we started the conversation, am I a Scientologist or not? It's kind of dissolved in my mind. I don't care. And this also comes from uni, like left, right, Republican, Democrat, racism, sexism, capitalism, communism, all these labels, they don't interest me. This also comes from my linguistic study of language change. They're great labels to stick on to people to try and put them in a box, whatever your political persuasion or political correctness or whatever it is that you have a kink about. Um, so for me, I I have a background in Scientology. That's undeniable. And I think it's fair to say I'm not a Scientologist ultimately because I don't believe in Hubbard or I don't subscribe to all he says and I'm not affiliated with the Church of Scientology and I have no interest in pursuing Scientology auditing or anything like that. But it doesn't mean I hate Scientology and I have no ill will towards the text itself. I'm, I'm perfectly willing and looking forward to um, exploring that more. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. me. Awesome, man. Long story, and I know we've, we've you know, gone into a lot of detail here and talked about a lot of things. Um, this is kind of exactly the kind of show I like to do. Uh, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. And well, I do. Well, absolutely. And I, and I believe that you have an interesting perspective. And you have it's a deeper, yeah. well, you have a deeper and a more nuanced perspective of this than a lot of people do. And that's one of the main reasons I wanted to host you on my show is because I wanted to show that you can come out of this and still be thoughtful about it and still be um, appreciative of certain aspects of it, let's say without having to tar the entire thing with the brush. It's all awful. It's all terrible. I have certainly said that because from my perspective, I see the psychological effects of it. And I see the problems that come from trying to assimilate this information and use it in a constructive way. The culture of Scientology simply won't allow you to do that. It's, you know, and that kind of thing. And so, I, so I've, I've got my views on it, but I appreciate yours. And I appreciate yeah. that they are different. And I and I like that, you know. Um, and we might disagree on certain points, but who cares, right? That we're both out of it now. We can both look back at it and go, well, here's some pros, here's some cons, here's some things that might be interesting. Here's some things that are definitely off the goddamn rails. And sure. okay. All right. You know, we're gonna have different interpretations or views of it. And I'm I'm okay with that, you know. As long as we're not having, you know, deep discussions about how um, how proper and correct and true this material is to people's spiritual salvation, because that's just not true at all. That's where, you know, I would diverge and go, well, hang on here. You know what I mean? I'm not going to host that, but I will certainly yeah. talk intelligently about and in a nuanced way about this topic. And, and that's what I appreciate you bringing to this, especially being so fairly recently declared and and really still in your process of emerging out of this and thinking it through and and recovering from it and i'll still a bit raw yeah yeah it is and i get that and i'm i'm glad we waited i think we've had a i think we yeah have i a, think that was smart yeah i think we have a better show right now than we would have had originally <laughs> when i was first talking to chris uh, dear audience i um would say like half a sentence and Chris would just go, are you sure you think about that right, Jason? Which is kind of like the opposite of I hope what's coming across now. Yeah, I was really, really shitty. Oh, right. So when I got declared, this is probably very pertinent to your audience. Mm. When I got declared, um, the senior has 
ANZO, so this is a high terminal in high posting in Australia, and someone from OSA ANZO, Glenn from OSA ANZO, so that's the legal department in Australia, called up my wife's parents and said, um, if you want to see your daughter still, my wife, and our two grandkids, or their two grandkids, um, our children, the best way for you to do that is to get Anne to come into the org and read all this stuff we have on Jason and realize what a bad guy he is and leave Jason and take the kids. And that was partly, of course, why I was so pissed. And Anne, of course, told him to get fucked, which is usually what she says when I bring up anything Scientology. So she's one of the people who's just like, just fuck off. She's not interested. She's like, no, she doesn't want the nuance. She doesn't care. And I respect that. I'm fine with that. Um, but, uh, you know, I was lucky in that regard that Anne and I have that solid relationship and it just strikes me as like, um, you know, so on the book, it's like, it's 34,000 words. It's a very short book. That's just a little bit bigger than Orwell's Animal Farm. Mm -hmm. And it's called Scientology and Philosophy, an Experiential Overview. It's very, like I look back at, I wrote it without high school education. It's good. I was really proud of what I did, but I look back on it now. I'm like, I've actually, like, if you want to buy it, you have to pay retail pretty much now because it's like almost to discourage people buying it. Really, what is good about the book now is it shows someone who's really, most of the books written are like someone's finished their journey or they're very close to the end and they come at it from a very definite perspective. But this book is like, I'm. this is written in 2019 while all this is happening and I'm really trying to work my way through. And the comments I've had back from people are like, you know, um, you don't really say anything. Like in, in any time you want to land a punch on a criticism, you'll I'll pull it back and go, oh yeah, but if you look at it. And I think that is turns out to be what's interesting about the book is it's indicative of just someone who just will not criticize. <laughs> These are people who are like, you know, we've been over how bad it got for me and, and I'm still defending. And that's, that's, what's interesting, the subtlety yeah. of that. Um, but yeah, to have written this really neutral book and then to say the outcome of that is Anne needs to leave his husband and take the two young children, fuck off, yeah. just fuck off. That, that's, I'm not cool with that. Um, so yeah, really, really silly. Well, I will, I will say um, I am quite sure the audience would, would, would agree with me when I say you better get that girl to Paris. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yes. She sounds well, like an yes, amazing... I'll, I'll put a photo on Twitter when we're... Uh, yeah. yeah. I have I have a... Um, oh, look, this might be a little bit self... This, this I'm going to plug myself a bit here, but um, I, I lost a lot of friends and so did Anne. And if you know me from the past and you're willing to talk to me or even just be friends on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, um, please just follow me. You don't even have to reach out to me. Just, I, I don't care about the likes. It's just, it's, it, it's been very lonely because a lot of the, um, a lot of the community is very anti-Scientology. I've had people over, like I met Gwen, the guy who, um, is suing the church. Like I know, I know he lives in Perth and, you know, we just didn't get along because he, well, sorry, Gwen, if you're listening, I don't, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my perception of him was he wasn't wanting to look at it in a nuanced way. And a lot of people, you know, like Anne doesn't, she's like, no F off. I don't want anything to do with that. And I, I really respect that. I'm not saying everyone, not everyone has to go and study philosophy and that's right. give up their beautiful sunny days, like in rooms with books and going, oh, well, technically, you know, like that, that's, that's almost a strange thing to do. And in a way I'm doing the odd thing. So I, I get it. 
Um, but it has been kind of lonely. So if you if you know me or from any time, feel free to follow me or hit me up on wherever you can find me. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Well, I, I will I will second that, you know what I mean? Because it is. It is difficult and it is a process. And it's uh and you do lose a lot. And this is all very raw and rare, very new for you, you know what I mean? So I I back up and appreciate everything you've said there. Um, you know, you're not an independent Scientologist. You're not here to defend it. You have no. views about it and you want to look deeply at it. And there is a difference. And I hope that the people who watch this get that because I'm not, I'm not promoting Scientology and I'm never going to, and I no. don't think that's what you're doing. And no, so, ideas. you know, you're, yeah, we're discussing and kicking around ideas that predate Scientology, that compare and contrast with Scientology. That's a different thing than, oh, L. Ron Hubbard nailed it. You, you no, know what I mean? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think it has an interesting synthesis that has drawbacks and, and plus points, like any plus points that might be Scientology work, but good and bad things about it, like any system. But I mean, to sort of let everyone know what's happening with me, I'm in my last year of my undergraduate now. And then I've got honors next year in linguistics. And then I'm going to do a thesis. And that's probably going to be on Scientology. Something with philosophy, linguistics, theology. I haven't really decided yet. And I'll have to narrow it down to a pretty small set, like maybe the basics or maybe the Congresses or the ACCs or the tech bowls or something, because just trying to do the whole thing would just, just be too much. It's so too much, yeah, watch yeah. watch this space. But I, I would <laughs> I would I would love to write one day the the book I have in mind, like the proper Scientology philosophy book, I would love to write would be kind of like a handbook that people could use because so ex or people just dealing with Scientology, even if their friends and family are in Scientology, because I don't feel like it's been correctly encapsulated. Like why do Scientologists think that's, what's the basic philosophy under that? And for people recovering or just curious, I think that'd be like just an interesting point of like, I don't know, maybe take Hubbard's 20 biggest points or something. I don't know. Maybe we're going to have a vote on your podcast or something, which points to tackle. I don't know. But, um, and just analyze them and say, well, here's a similar idea that, you know, like whether Scientology ethics is utilitarianism is on the surface, yes. But as I've been reading, it might be a very peculiar branch that actually has some nuance to it. And then we can get into, well, what are the potential drawbacks of that? What are the dangers? What are the potential good things about that? Like that's what you do in in philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, like for example, the I'm taking history of human rights this semester. Now I put a denouncement on my website, which is gone now, uh, but it, it was denouncing it for Hubbard's stance on human rights. Then I've learned in this human rights course that Jeremy Bentham, who was the father of utilitarianism, kind of, um, he had similar views on human rights that then that Hubbard does. And it sort of comes from, yeah, so it comes from a position of like, if you're going for the greater good, then this individual stuff isn't what we're going for. You're going for the greater good of the society. Right. Now, of course, on the surface, we go, well, that sounds like Nazism and that's problematic. And yes, it is problematic until you research the other ethical systems and you go, yeah, they're all problematic too. Well, exactly. Since when have we invented a, a, a wonderful system of ethics that's universally beneficial? It's and yeah. And so any and purpose yeah. has a lot to do with that, as encapsulated by Hubbard's writing on the purpose of ethics. Right? Remove, um, you know, counter intentionness, and then remove other intentionness. In other words, we want everybody focused on exactly this. And if you think 
this is the single best thing in the world and everybody would benefit from this. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. The fact that well, it's that not universally good and doesn't benefit everybody sort of challenges that. But you're looking at it more from a framework point of view than that situation, you know? Yeah, I like think. any anything I say on Scientology philosophy or its linguistics, because Hubbard relies on a lot of word definitions for his philosophy, so my linguistics education, which is my primary education, is going to really help to explore that. But anything you say, like I've just said with human rights and utilitarianism, it, it in my mind, it leads to like five other strings to pull on. So I become apprehensive to say anything at all. Sure. Oh, but I would love to talk about, maybe we could do another one, but just phrase it at the start saying, you and I are just going to shoot the shit. Yeah. And half the stuff we say is probably going to be wrong, but at least it, maybe that could help some people. You know, when I came out, I loved healing with the podcasts and the, the data out there uh, and even uh, the aftermath and so on was part of the healing process organizationally. But I didn't, I couldn't put my hand on anything that helped me heal the thinking process yes i know i could do the it's a cult scrape it all out but but stripping out my entire epistemological substrate if you will or my way of thinking my worldview i i didn't think that was going to help me in my position because i was already in quite a defeated position and i don't feel like cognitively i could have taken any more so i needed something more that was like nuanced and just saying this little thing here jason just just touch on that a little bit and that's kind of where i'm it if anything in me will make it in my thesis, and of course it will because we're all biased, um, then that will be uh, what hopefully comes through, that nuance. Fair enough. Well, let's see what happens. And as time goes on, I guarantee you one thing. Hmm. Your views on this will change. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. All right, man. Well, again, thank you for taking the time. Thanks for reaching out in the first place, of course, and sharing all of this with us. And of course, I, you know, I am going to express here that I definitely understand the emotional toll and, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and that we, I think we have completely common ground on, right? We can, we can talk philosophy all day long, but I get the, the just devastating emotional toll that it can take when they mess with you, when they tell you you're psychotic, when they judge you, and then when they kick you out and throw you under the bus. And, and all of that is, there just isn't any other word for that, but awful. And yeah. I think that, that that's very important. You said that, Chris, because I want people to know that there are scholars who look at like the philosophy, Hitler's inner philosophies and so forth, but that doesn't mean that they're saying Hitler's a great guy. And right. I think it's very important because as much as I am interested in taking the nuances of Scientology on and thinking about it, at a more pragmatic level for life, I do share my wife's views. And that is the, the four-letter word views. Because at the end of the day, it's all fine and well to be all academic like I'm trying to be all like Chris does sometimes um, with your stuff as well. But that's not – if people are hurting people, then I don't really care what the underlying reasons are. And, yeah, so to some degree, my thesis will probably be on a very small part of Scientology that's extrapolated, maybe the early years or the latter years or something, and it – you know, like you mentioned with the, the the removing other intentions, so that comes from an FO from memory, mm -hmm. flag order. That's right. So that wouldn't be in the thesis unless I was doing a thesis on flag orders. So that's well, really interesting. He, he did convert it to a policy letter as well. You can find it in OEC Volume 1. Well, it depends. Would I include – like these are the, but these are the questions the point. for later. Exactly. Yeah, are you gonna, how far do you go? 
Yeah. Anything I do is going to be reductive. And, and I think it's going to be very important to phrase that in a way. I'm not really doing it on Scientology. I'm doing it on a, a part of Scientology. And you right. could argue that it's not really Scientology, therefore. And that's fine. Fair enough. Well, all right, man. So again, we're going to wrap up. <laughs> so yeah. thanks again. And uh, folks out there, thanks for sticking with us through this entire thing. This has been a really long one. Um, but again, I wouldn't, I don't know that I'm going to really edit out a lot of this. I think there's a lot here to think about and chew on. And, um, and Jason's story, of course, is part of this. Some of the back and forth we've been kicking back and forth is also part of this that I want you all to think about and consider just Scientology at a deeper level. You know, can, can you do it? Is it, is it important to do it? Should we do it? Well, there's some questions for you. And I know the answer is... Yeah, and I know the answers on this are going to be varied, you know, all across the spectrum, and I and I and I'm okay with that. So, <laughs> so I know we're trying to wrap up, but when I released my book, I put one advert on Facebook, and someone just replied. I said, "Is Scientology like philosophy or something?" And the reply was, "Fuck off." So, yeah, I get it. Exactly, and I think you're. I think with I think yeah. with the audience and everything, you're gonna run into that more often than not. That's but, okay. But that's that's right. that's, that's, that's the thing. Exactly. That's why I'm not, you know, necessarily throwing all my academic papers around either. Is it's you know it it, it it's got its audience. Anyway, Definitely. all right, guys. Thanks for thanks for coming around. I will see you next week. And on that happy note, bye-bye.